This week on Invasion of the Podcast, we continue our year of canon as we enter the ninja. Two kids looking for a new thrill. Steve. He is the most feared and powerful warrior. And Paul. A strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and just how to get it. But this time, the thrill went too far. Their target, Canon Films. The home of high-powered, high-voltage motion picture entertainment. With the screen's biggest spectacles, brightest stars, and boldest lineup of explosive entertainment. We're taking motion picture excitement over the edge and your box office over the top. We're Canon Films, and we're Dynamite. It's year of the canon. Year, year, the canon? Year, year of canon time again. The canon's fine. It's, it's, it's the canon. It, the canon films. Like, you know, the Ohio State University. The canon films. I, I am Paul, and to my left is Steve. Hello, everyone. And welcome to wonderful year of Invasion of the Podcast, where we're like our year-long journey into the year, the in canon films. And we're joined by a guest. Uh, you guys heard him recently when we talked about Electric Boogaloo, the, the canon uh, documentary. Kevin, uh, from... The other show I do. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on, and uh, thanks for taking my suggestion. Really pumped to talk about some Franco Nero and some not Franco Nero <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I know I asked you to pick a film uh, to cover on, on the uh, Year of Canon, and I know you were conflicted. You had a, a couple of films you wanted to pick, but you picked uh, about two dozen. About two. <laughs> Uh, you know, all the lemon popsicles was, I know that was in there. Uh, no, uh, and you picked enter the ninja. So before I guess we get into like a little bit of the background of the, of the film itself, why was this the one that you wanted to talk about on, uh, the show with us? Well, it might not be my favorite, uh, canon film, but I felt like I, I, some kind of backstory. I gave Paul a list of movies. I was like my final three, I was debating giving you guys. And he said some other people may have picked those or are going to pick them. So I figured if nobody else was going to pick a ninja movie, I definitely had to do that because that is possibly one of the most famous things that came out of the studio. Um, so I was going to pick Re uh, Revenge of the Ninja just because that's my favorite of this trilogy. Mm -hmm. But I figured if you guys hadn't seen Enter the Ninja, we might as well start at the beginning of this uh, quote unquote trilogy. Yeah, because Enter the Ninja is the sorry, Revenge of the Ninja is the second one, and then Ninja Three, the Domination is the third one. That is the Ninja Exorcist mashup. Yeah, so really the only thing that's in all three are ninjas and Shokasugi, <laughs> but outside of that, none of the plots intersect at all. <laughs> So, all right, yeah. So I think that, like, I will say that you're right. I've not seen this film before. Uh, you had given me a copy of the film to watch, so yeah. I appreciate that. Well, and also, I know your uh, newfound love throughout the past year <laughs> of doing the year of the knockoffs of Franco Nero. So just the fact that you got Franco Nero uh, stand, uh, standing off with uh, Shokasugi 
this is definitely a must see for any fans of those two actors. Yeah. Like, so I did fall in love with uh, Mr. Franco Nero with the Westerns, which I feel like I will argue that most of this film is a Western in a lot of ways. Uh, and at least it's, it's story beats is very Western. Like, uh, yeah. but yeah, like after watching, of course, like we'll talk about Franco Nero's more of his stuff, but after watching like, uh, uh, Nero's and the mercenary, like, and hearing him with his own voice, that's a big thing. Yeah, I fell in love with Franco Nero. He he is uh he is my dreamboat. So I'm glad that we got to see him as a ninja and his mustache in this is on point. Yeah, and I, I feel like the uh the mask that he's wearing perfectly outlines his eyes, <laughs> his beautiful blue eyes. I thought you were gonna say outlines so. the mustache. I'm like, it does. Like it uh but yeah, his eyes his you you need to recognize his eyes, you just want to swim in forever. That's what that I say. that and Shokasugi in this. They picked probably the most iconic eyes in uh, <laughs> film history. Iconic, oh. I like it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, sorry, Steve. I was just we're having a moment about Franco no, no, Nero. <laughs> I'll leave you two alone, and I'll come back later. <laughs> so uh, yeah, well, let's, let's get into some background about about the movie, and then we'll we'll play the trailer. Um, not forty minutes in, like we did with the Apple. We'll we'll get to the trailer sooner than later. Uh, so only way I know how to approach this is chronologically. So the release date for this film was October twenty third, nineteen eighty one. Um, so films that also were released on the same day, Das Boot was released the same day, at least in the U.S. Um, market. A film Basically called- the same crowd going to see those two. <laughs> yeah, the, the German uh, U-boat film that is like more of an examination of life on a U-boat, which I've not seen, but everybody always referenced Das Boot. Uh, the Pit, which is a horror film I feel like I should have heard of by this point. I, I just, it, it's like is a it a we- Corman film? I don't it know. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, the cover art's weird. Uh, it feels like, I feel like if people are going to the movies that weekend, they're like, okay, we have a ninja film, a submarine film a weird horror film and then something called silence in the North, which hmm. is um, an autobiographical film about like some Canadian, like, like uh, artist of some sort. I was just like, that doesn't sound really interesting to me. So I'm sure there was a lot of interesting like decisions to be made at the multiplex that weekend. Um, just to point out the weekend after this though, a Halloween two came out. So I just thought that was of interest because that was, you know, a sequel to that and to Halloween. And you know, I, it's worth talking about because I don't know. I just want to bring it up. So you're saying that Enter the Ninja range for one week? <laughs> I don't know what number one was. I just uh, so um, it was probably Das Boot. Probably Das Boot. <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. I just but it's, if a, a film that is worthy of note, I mean, I guess as much as you could talk about Halloween too, it did come out the week after on Halloween, by the way, which is appropriate. Uh, so also on this date of October 23rd, 1981, your big news is that Michael Fishman, aka DJ Connor from Roseanne was born. I just wanted, like that was the biggest thing I could find for this day. I wonder if he knows that both he and Under the Ninja share a birthday. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing everyone's going up to DJ Connor and be like, hey, by the way, did you know that you were born on the day that I'm Franco like, no, he's, Nero... He's not even Michael Fishman. He's just DJ, DJ Connor. Connor. Yeah. <laughs> did, you, did you know his name as an actor or did you know it was DJ Connor? Uh, I think I knew that, but only because I think at one point, like, didn't he marry like his teacher or something? Like He had like a weird... like. <laughs> I feel like he married like at like eighteen, like his tutor that was on set or something. Like, oh, I don't know. That that sounds salacious. I guess I'm, this I'm... isn't the DJ Connor podcast, so <laughs> Yeah. 
Um, so yeah. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm glad that we're being factual this far in. Yeah, yeah. I didn't prepare for any of this talk yeah. tonight. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, budget for the film was 1.5 million. Supposedly, there's a lot of discussion. Uh, Menachem Golan said this was upwards of four million. So don't take that at face value. It was more closer to one and a half. I don't know about the box office take. I can't find a number for how much money this movie made. Are, the- are you telling me that Canon Films did not have good bookkeeping? <laughs> it sounds crazy. I'm going to say they probably had good bookkeeping, but no one saw it. Like I just like I feel like because <laughs> uh, I've been reading um, like the book that I bought to, for the year of Canon, the Hollywood A Go Go by Andrew Andrew Yule, and I'll I'm, I hopefully I'll get to a little bit of it later. He the book is an examination of of the money that they were making or claiming they were making. And every time we reference it's a film where like they mentioned the budget, he always puts in parentheses closer to probably like he never <laughs> like it's it, every single time. Like, and they always end up talking about like the presale, like of like if a distributor picks up the film that always counts towards like their gross. It's like, none of that makes sense, but they're always talking about how by the time someone buys the film, it's already made money. Like, how is that possible? You right. know, like, yeah. So I knows? will say, uh, and uh, this is not a film that we're going to be covering because we've already covered it for a uh, Halloween episode previously. Uh, I think it was before I joined the Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. Yeah. Um, when they released that on uh, DVD or Blu-ray, I can't remember. There was a documentary just basically about the making of the movie, and I wish there was like something along those lines for every canon movie because, like, if you see like. That movie was made under such like crazy conditions, and like the budgets were constantly changing, and like mm-hmm. I feel like that's every canon movie, movie probably. Like I'm sure they said 1.5, and he told people it was four million, and it was probably like 250 thousand or something <laughs> ridiculous. Like I just I have a feeling that a lot of numbers changed in a lot of. Uh, things probably happen behind the scenes that he probably lost a battle in a cockfight, and that's, that's probably where the budget changed <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, I- I mean, this movie looks good for what it is, but none yeah. of it's due to money being put in it. It's just good scenery. Like, yeah. he picked good spots to film at. But honestly, I, I could go out with no money outside of the paying the actors and pretty much shot for shot recreate this for <laughs> for basically free. <laughs> I would love it if, like, your weapons were, like, cardboard tubes, though, and everything, like, when they're all fighting each other. Like, the bow staff's a cardboard tube, the blowgun's a cardboard tube. I would love if that was, like, it would almost feel right for this. But, uh, so, yeah, like, so we don't know roughly the budget. We don't, we, all we know is that this film was a hit, and we'll talk about that later, about how this, this film was kind of Canon's way into, like, the legitimate, like, film distribution world. So, because uh, it was, it was a hit. And this is like, just like when we talked about the Apple last time, how Menachem Golan had this vision in his head of like, this is going to be the one. His, his misses are so much more than his hits. And I don't know what his thoughts were on this one hitting, but this is the one that kind of got him over the hump in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more later. Uh, so, and also just because it would not be me going doing some history here. Number one song when this, this uh, film came out was Arthur's theme by Christopher Cross. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> which was from the film Arthur, which was the fourth highest film of 81. I went to box office mojo. I cannot find enter the ninja on there. So I don't know 
what this film did versus other films, and it, it kills me. So funny story was uh, I don't know how I saw Arthur as a kid, but my <laughs> sister had the vinyl of it, and like I used to love that song, man. I would listen to it like all the time. I don't know why. It's apparently tune. yeah. Apparently the rest of the country did as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> I like that the song was actually number one when the film wasn't in theaters anymore, or maybe well actually at that time it probably was still in theaters. That's how that stuff kind of yeah. worked then. But I mean. Uh, that's that's a way to relive the film, right? Sure, you know, like I guess you know, just be like, don't <laughs> if, be more if you can't drunk. watch it at home, yeah. you just uh, listen to the soundtrack. That's why I listened to uh, Ray Parker's Ghostbuster song over and over again. You know, I probably did. I don't know why I'm saying that. Well, it's the same reason you bought Marvel Comics adaptations of movies, so uh, you could go home and read them and that, that's fair. Relive yeah. the movies. So uh, this film was directed by uh, Menachem Golan. Uh, he was not the original director intended for this, though. Actually, there was a couple. Um, I think Boaz Davidson was originally announced for this, but then that changed to um, Emmett Alston, and he was the one supposed to direct this. However, um, Charles Bronson refused to work with Menachem Golan on Death Wish 2, so because he didn't want him directing him, he had to move on to another project, so he pushed Alston out and took over directing this film. Well, aren't the first three Death Wishes all directed by the same person? It's... um. Oh, I think it's like Michael Winner, I think is his name. Yeah, 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 I think you're right. But I I didn't know that he was supposed to direct to, I guess, is that's well that okay, this is per Wikipedia, so take over the grand soul. Oh, I'm not taking <laughs> No, no, no. Like, <laughs> Steve, I just made up that fact just to see how you feel about <laughs> I'm it. I'm not taking you to task on it. I was just surprised to hear that somebody else other than Michael Winner was gonna direct too. Was so I, I just want to mention, the reason I mentioned Emin Alston is because uh, he directed New Year's Evil, which I just slogged my oh. way through for the blog, and I'm like, thank Christ he didn't direct this. <laughs> However, Kevin will probably speak up and say that he ended up directing two other ninja films with Sho Kasugi. Kasugi. I'm going to mess it up. What's the name? Sho Kasugi. Kasugi. God damn it. I feel so bad. But that was the, the Nine Deaths of the Ninja and like, oh, okay. yeah, he directed that and one other ninja film. So, okay, that's that's my least favorite show Kasugi movie. But <laughs> I wonder <laughs> seeing why, as he did uh, New Year's Evil, I can see why now. Yeah, uh, show Kasugi. I'm going to mess that up, and I apologize in advance. I, but I will never, I will never mess up Franco Nero. That's what that's DJ the truth. Connor. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, so yeah, Alston was supposed to direct this, and they're like, no. And I'm like, thank God, because as as we're going to talk about the film. I really, I mean, the directing of the film wasn't like, it was like, it wasn't bad. I feel like, like, I feel like Menachem Golan's like his, his, his failure is that people don't always tell him no, but I think he knows how to make a, a compose a shot and move through a scene. Well, I said that during the Apple, I felt like, yeah. you know, for a movie that's technically, you know, or that isn't. Um, specifically a great movie it was technically well shot like and yeah, I, we had so, that discussion during that episode yeah. like because i'm like did he have a great cinematographer or something because it's not what i would have expected yeah so yeah i wouldn't say there's anything like groundbreaking about the cinematography in this um but yeah it looks good and he's able to tell an a to b story for the most part could, and there's really not much downtime and you know a lot of these movies you end up on some weird track that you're not expecting to go down and uh this one pretty much sticks to the main plot the entire time yeah i mean there's flourishes throughout that feel like him and we'll talk about them a little later too where i'm like we didn't need that 
because I feel like there's his <laughs> fingerprints on it. So yeah, we'll talk about it. But uh, so this was the screenplay was given credit to Dick Desmond, and it's his only credit. But he wasn't the one that wrote the story for this. It's a guy named Mike Stone, which Kevin, I'm sure yeah. you're probably familiar with Mike Stone. Um, I I just he this guy is a stunt man, and he was supposed to be the part. He was supposed to play the role of um, the the main character, but he couldn't act, so that's why they brought Franco Nero in. Uh, do you know Mike Stone's history at all? Because I, I I also looked up Wikipedia about this guy. Like he he has an interesting life. I don't know if you know too much about his his past. Yeah, he's a Hawaiian based martial artist. He was actually uh, pretty renowned for his martial arts and everything. Ended up retiring, got into the film industry, doing like fight choreography, doing stunts, um, all that good stuff, and. Um, this was really his first big break into uh, doing films, as far as I know. Um, I'm trying to see here. Yeah, 1981. Yeah, so he just did some like stunts and everything. But yeah, after this, he went on to do uh, stunt choreography and fight choreography for the entire American Ninja series for Canon. But he also had this passion project that for years, I've been trying to hunt down this tiger shark. Uh, movie that he oh. starred in. I thought, I thought uh, actual Tiger Shark. I'm like, well, I mean, you know, like I appreciate yeah. your patience. Not not to be confused with Tinto Rara, the uh, Tiger Shark Italian Jaws ripoff. Um, but yeah, it was like, it's just called Tiger Shark and he wrote and starred in it. It's like his passion project and I cannot find this thing anywhere. So th- th- that's interesting. But what I was looking up was that he... Um, he actually interacted with Elvis uh, at one point whenever uh, Priscilla walked out on him. He ended up moving in with Mike Stone and his then-pregnant wife and was, like, <laughs> training with him. And something happened. This, this, this thing's a little – it's a little murky. Um, but he ends up uh, – Elvis ends up telling Priscilla, like, hey, maybe you should train with this guy for a little bit. And so originally – uh, she trained with Chuck Norris. I, I just I don't know why that's a thing, but she did. Um, but then, um, what was it? She ended up training with Mike Stone and ended up uh, they ended up getting together. And and uh, what was it? Did they um, did they get married? I uh, know, but she ended up like splitting with Elvis and ended up sticking with Mike Stone for a while. I don't know if they got married, but it was like this whole weird thing of like, you know, since Elvis was into karate, he ends up moving with Mike Stone, and then he's like, yeah, you should hang out with this guy, and then Priscilla ends up with him. Sounds like the story of Enter the Ninja, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's not too far off. Maybe they should have gotten Mike Stone. Yeah. I just, I was like, because I was looking up, I was like, oh, Mike Stone, who is this guy? And I'm like, oh, he was directly tied to Elvis in his breakup. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, did, I didn't even read his uh, Wikipedia, yeah. but it also says he worked as a bodyguard for Phil Spector. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that worked oh. out real well. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, so, uh, th- this was, uh, a story that S- Stone had come up with. He, um, based this off of the idea of a book called the Ninja, uh, that was written by Eric Van, uh, Lustbader. that's never been made into a movie, but like he kind of read the book and it was popular at the time and he wrote this story and then it kind of got punched up well, by, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say funny thing is they optioned that novel cause that was like best-selling novel in 1980 and, um, I, I think uh, John Carpenter was up for yeah. directing it. He was developing it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Really? So and rich, yeah, Richard Gere was supposed to play the main character, um, and wow. then Carpenter ended up uh, jumping in. He was going to write and direct with Tommy Lee Wallace. <laughs> wow. <laughs> One of his writing partners. That'd so that would have been that would have been crazy. Wow. And this. I is mean, the- I guess we sort of got something. Big Trouble in Little China. I mean, 
Yeah. And just imagine that as like a ninja film. It could have been that. Yeah. I, I, I would I would have loved to see a John Carpenter ninja film. Could you imagine the score for that? That'd have been amazing. <laughs> like, um, but but uh, yeah, so like this was kind of like was based off like the popular novel, but it wasn't exactly directly related to the novel. Um, so, and then as we talked about, Mike Stone was originally supposed to play the role of Cole, but he had no acting experience. And so, um, according to the documentary Electric Boogaloo, which we watched, uh, as there, I think where, where did they find, um, Nero? Was it, was it in Venice or was it like in, uh, where they were shooting over in the Philippines? Either way, they found him and they're like, this guy, this guy looks good. And he, he's an actor. We'll just cast him. And he's like, I have no martial arts experience. So like, that's fine. And they're like, and hey, we're going to dub your voice. So. That's how yeah. this kind of all came together. Is he the only one who's dubbed in this movie? Because I couldn't tell. I, film, I, films I believe Show Kasugi and a lot of the people at, in the beginning um, okay. at the dojo, I believe they're all dubbed. But yeah, Christopher George is definitely not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, as well as... Um, uh, yeah, you said Christopher George, which we'll talk about him in a second. I was surprised at the connection in this film. There's something else I love. So before we get into cast, um, I guess I'm going to play this trailer. Uh, it is tuck in. It is, uh, it's amazing, but it's also three minutes long. So we'll play the trailer for the Ninja, and then we'll talk about the cast, and we'll get more into the film. The first martial art to sweep the modern world was Jiu-Jitsu, closely followed by the discipline of Karate. Then we were taught to combine the spiritual with the physical by the masters of Kung Fu. And now, the Cannon Group is proud to introduce the practitioner of the oldest and ultimate martial art, the Ninja. Enter the Ninja. This gold is your license. As a master of ninjutsu. Starring Franco Nero. Exploding into action as Cole, the white ninja. Give him a message for me. Yeah? I don't like to be followed. I love it here. It's become my home. And nobody, nobody is going to drive us away. Susan George is the proud and beautiful Marianne. A strong-willed woman who knows what she wants and just how to get it. And introducing Sho Kosugi. Kampai! Kampai! Kampai. Hasegawa, the black ninja, born of samurai blood, is unable to accept anything but the ancient ways. You did not drink, Hasegawa. He is no ninja. It's the lion code. They want to take it away from us. Bitter and merciless, this rogue ninja will stop at nothing to destroy any and all who cross his path. Ninja. Hired assassins. Trained killers. Masters of the most deadly art known to man. Oh, my God. 
If you take on a ninja, no matter how many you are, be prepared for the consequences. Enter the ninja from Canon. I like that the last 15 minutes of that is just like sounds of people getting beat up. It's and weird and weird noises of arrows and ninja stars being thrown that whoop, whatever the noise is. Yeah. Guys, I got a question. Yeah. Do you really think Franco Nero was exploding on screen with action? <laughs> no, just just with sexual desire. That's what I feel like. I but also like they the trailer is telling a different story than the movie is. Yeah. Like uh uh show Kasugi is, is is like samurai blood that's never never stated in the film. Uh there's like the 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 young like the young strong woman with what she wants. It's like that's not really I don't know. It's it's kind of there, but not uh, really. Like they mentioned the samurai blood because uh, the uh, the teacher at the school in the beginning uh, mentions that Shokasugi's character Hasegawa comes from a lineage of samurais, okay. and it, back in the day, if he would have been born in that century, he would have been a great warrior. He well, would have been somebody. I, I did pick up on that. So so I ended up having to watch this on my iPad because. Uh, the Sunday I was going to watch this, we had a weird power outage, and then um, then we had like a brownout. Like it was this weird thing. So as much as you've given me a copy of the movie to watch, I was unable to physically watch it. So I had to use my iPad and like watch it on a tiny screen and with headphones. So I maybe missed part of that, but it was like you know, it, the plot in this is like it, it kind of zips by. So yeah, if that's if that's the case, then I then I stand corrected. So I, I have a question that's kind of indirectly related to this, but also... Is it related of, to cockfights? It is not, but it, <laughs> that'll come in later. Okay. Um, so what are your guys' memories of like Ninja? Like I know Kevin is younger than I am, as are you, Paul, <laughs> but not by as much as, as Kevin, but... Um, just kind of give you like a, a brief background. Like for me, like I don't know that I saw this movie, but I remember kids talking about it. Like I have very vivid memories of hearing about it, and then like around this time is when the GI Joe relaunch was. Uh, maybe that was a year or two later, like eighty two, maybe. Um, but you know, you had characters like uh, Snake Eyes, obviously, and Storm Shadow. Storm Shadow, yeah. and then it just felt like ninjas were everywhere. Um, so I was kind of wondering, like. What was your? What are your guys' memories? Like, it's just a thing that I always remember as like sort of existing, but like from a certain point on, like it was like in the air, I guess, if you will. Um, which I'm always amazed when like, kids like are, a smoke bomb had been dropped. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you grow up watching ninja movies? Because like the '80s, like you know, we mentioned the American Ninja films and. Um, Obviously, canon films, and it was just sort of everywhere. It was in GI Joe. It was kind of all over the place. Particularly if you were like my age, growing up at that time, it was kind of everywhere. Um, I, I guess I'll, I'll go first with this. Like, I, you're right. Like, it was kind of the, a thing. I, I I had not seen this movie, um, but like we talked about this four star recording, uh, joking about ninja stars. Like that was the thing. Like my older brother had to have a ninja star, and it's like you see that it's like it's just all points and sharp edges. Why would kids need this? You know, but you had yeah. to have one. <laughs> like it was like that in butterfly knives, which surprisingly that's not in this film. But um, there was a switchblade and a hook hand. But uh, like that was like you had to have a ninja star. That was like if you were cool, you had a ninja star. Yeah, and. That it's like, right. what, what were you going to do with that? Like, were you going to carry that in high school and like, you know, pin somebody to a wall, like their mullet to a wall? Like, what were you going to do with a ninja <laughs> star? 
so yeah, it was something that I was aware of. I just and, and then um, I I grew up watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like that was yeah. like that was later in the eighties, but that it's was like, inspired by like all this. 80, yeah, yeah, and like uh, like Mega Man three. I think there's a character called Ninja Man in that. Uh, so I, it was something that obviously I was aware of all the time. I just didn't. I didn't think of it as something that wasn't that didn't already exist, mm-hmm. you know. So that, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm kind of in your boat. Um, I wasn't familiar with these films until I was a teenager, which was way after the whole 1980s Ninja explosion. But I, 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 get I much like you, I was a huge <laughs> fan of GI Joe, so I was obviously aware of all the ninja characters in that. Um, as you said, Ninja Turtles, I was a big fan of. Also, Ninjak. The yeah. comic series well, and Ninja Gaiden, the the arcade game that yeah. became the the Nintendo yeah. game. Yeah. So I was just kind of aware of it. I was I was never huge into it. I was more into like the Bruce Lee stuff when I was younger, and that just like kung fu films. Um, and this is a direct offshoot of those kung fu films because everyone was looking for the next big thing after Bruce Lee passed away, and uh, in the West it ended up being ninjas with. Uh, basically 1980 with Chuck Norris as the octagon. And then that novel, the ninja that we uh, previously mentioned. And then this really just kickstarted this enter the ninja just kickstarted the explosion of ninja films, ninja TV shows like the master. I don't know if you guys have seen any episodes of that. No. With yeah. Lee Van Cleef and show Kasugi. Um, very, a very strange show. <laughs> Very strange cast. Um, it it's definitely one I want to go back and revisit at some point. Does it explain why Lee Van Cleef is missing part of a finger? Is that do they do like the, <laughs> the backstory of like that, like a ninja, yeah. a ninja mission gone wrong? I'm almost positive too that like two of the episodes of The Master were made into like TV movies that then aired later on when uh, Mystery Science Theater was on as uh, episodes of Mystery Science Theater. So That wouldn't huh. surprise me. Because yeah. I feel like one of them stars Demi Moore for some reason. <laughs> so, but Yeah, I, I got into these films way later, and I was actually just telling uh, you guys before we started this, I'll repeat it for the listeners. Um, when I discovered these films, I was like, I need a ninja star. Yeah. So there was a, there was a little flea market uh, over on the west side of Cleveland that I used to go to, and every time you go there, it was just you know bootlegs, all the typical stuff uh, at flea markets, and the one sold nothing but drug paraphernalia and weapons. <laughs> so I'd always go in there and be like, I need a new switchblade or something. <laughs> so I was like, man, I need a I need a ninja star. So I actually built like a target. And made a spray paint stencil of Shokasugi that I used to throw the ninja star at. So um, these movies affected me way past the point that they probably should have. But I fell in love with them. Did you ever get the switchblade comb? Like, did you ever get one of those? Like, you had to have. I, d- I did have one of those, and uh, during my rockabilly phase, uh, <laughs> I've received many of them as a gift. So. <laughs> I, I actually bought one at uh, Days of the Dead, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Living Dead Weekend. Uh, a switchblade comb or a, yeah, a switchblade uh, ninja comb. star? Because uh, <laughs> okay. I, there might have been those comb. as well, but uh, you know, because Tom Savini's got that scene in Dawn of the Dead where he brushes out his comb, his uh, beard with it. So somebody was selling those. I was like, ah, like I, I want to buy one of those. It was like five bucks, and yeah, perfect. I still use it. There you so. go. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, you're right. So like the, this thing kind of permeated, and this was like I, I guess I didn't realize that it had to start somewhere. Like so, yeah. yeah, it's just weird. Like 
it's weird that it started with this. <laughs> like, you know, you think of American Ninja because that's the one everyone kind of points to as being like the ninja movie of the 80s. But this was this was really the one that kickstarted it. It's such a weird point to start like a cultural phenomenon on. Well, and even considering that, like, and also to call back, the title Enter the Ninja is a direct ripoff of Enter the Dragon. Like, they wanted people to think that. So, you are you know, you're talking about the martial arts thing, that this was exactly why they called it that. Uh, but to think, like, like, the first 10 minutes of this film is, like, pure ninja, and then, like, the last, like, 15 minutes is pure ninja, and then the rest of it is... Yeah. Like not ninja. Like I mean, there's, I, there's I actually wrote in my notes uh, Chekhov's ninja because because <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean you get the whole thing. Like so, credit to this film uh, that the first ten minutes, like I said, there's not any dialogue spoken, and it's kind of it's kind of cool. Like you're like I don't know what's going on with the story. You have um, you know you, well actually we, let's before we get into the story, I get maybe let's get into the cast. I feel like I'm going to step all over everything. So we got Franco Nero as Cole. Um, we've talked about him a little bit already. Um, to my knowledge, I feel like he's most well known to most people as Django in the Django film. Um, and then, and then Kevin would argue that he was the villain in Die Hard too. So people should know him from that. But um, I feel like most people would know him as Django. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're not familiar with westerns or anything, um, it, that might be a hard sell. But um, his his real only breakthrough in the u.s market was uh die hard too well and, and i mean you could even argue this but like you didn't hear his voice you know like and that's the thing that kills me is that he actually has he isn't one of those people that like his his you know his ability to to, to speak english in terms of like you know uh, as a second language in terms of these films, like he, he elocutes well, I, it isn't like he's like unintelligible, like watching these Westerns that he, that I saw for the year, the Western, like, I don't know why they couldn't use his voice for this because the whole argument that he was from Texas, that is never brought in as a story point in this movie. You, no, you could easily just say he was from New York or something like or, whatever. He's Italian. Been, he was in, a, you know, he was in a military regiment and like with whatever, cause they're all wearing like non us military uniforms with this other guy. It's like, he's Italian. This other guy's American. That's fine. They could have been like guns for hire. They could have been mercenaries. You don't know. Like, I, but I don't yeah. know why, but it feels like this goes back to a uh, Menachem Golan's like notice. Like he wants to have the American, part of the films like he feels like there's always this hollywood american thing he wants to kind of push in so maybe that was his decision but like i just yeah it's a bummer though because there's a lot of one-liners that i could just hear it just watching his lips move uh i could just hear it in franco nero's voice especially in like some of the bar fight sequences i just i wished that it was actually his voice yeah well because like after watching um was it uh the companeros like realizing that he has like good comedic timing like he knows how to deliver a line you know and i just it's a bummer that he got dubbed over here but but otherwise though like i mean he is a presence i know i joke about his eyes because like he has a good distinct look about him and even though he didn't know martial arts it's like you wouldn't know it from the movie he carries himself quite well like yeah, and uh, Mike Stone does good uh, a good job stepping in as his double. Yeah, so they make him look good. Yeah, so Steve, was this your first Franco Nero experience? Like, I mean, I've seen Die Hard too, but I honestly didn't realize that he was the villain in that. It's been a while since I've seen that, so I looked briefly at his IMDb, and I'm like, oh, I'm really unfamiliar with a lot of his work, unfortunately. Um, but I. 
it's that weird thing, like you said, of it be, needing to be American. Like I, I, there's no real precedent for it being that that he's from Texas, or <laughs> you know, there's no good reasoning behind some of the decisions that are made. But you're right. I do think it was just to try and appeal to that sensibility of of Americanism, I guess that. Menachem felt the movies needed. Yeah, that weird thing that he had of like just being slightly off for whatever reason. Some some of his sensibilities are definitely in play here, and I think I I can understand his notion of like we got to have this lead and we got to we got to make him American by any means possible. Like I I kind of get it in terms of like a wide release, but I feel like you could have maybe picked other actors that maybe they weren't as strong with like like their you know with their grasp of the English language if it's not their primary language. But I think that Franco Nero, you should have saw what you had as an asset, and I think there could have been. A, I, I almost wish there's a like a version of this film where his his voice is in it. Like it makes me like like Kevin, you're right. Like I feel like some of the stuff he says would have been like awesome because I I really really think that he knows how to deliver like good one liners. But but I love Franco Nero. I'm I'm severely biased. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I, I'm not biased I, at all, but yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I don't know I, I just, because I'm not that familiar. But well, you should be. You need to fall in love with him by the time we're done talking tonight. So, <laughs> uh, so we also have we have Susan George as Marianne, uh, which you'll know that she's the young, young, young tough woman that knows what she wants and how to get it. I guess I am Susan George. If you listen to, the I did intro. not get that from her character <laughs> at all. But no, uh, I feel like she was like no, like like first thing you see her with is a shotgun trying to take out Franco Nero. So I guess that's fair. Yeah. And yeah. she's not giving up her land. She's no. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I, yeah, I, I recognized her. Uh, she was in, um, I, well, I, I recognized her, I guess in passing, but she was in straw dogs, the original straw dogs. Yeah. I, I like, I'm not sure what character she played there, but you know, she, she was an, an actress of note. This isn't like she was, was like wandering into this. You never heard of her again. Uh, show, yeah, she she yeah. plays Dustin Hoffman's wife in the film. That's okay. It's a there we go. Very it's, devastating role. It's been it's been a long time since I've seen that, but I remember that's it's a good it's a good flick. It doesn't make you feel good at the end. No, it's good. No, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, we have Sho uh, Kasuji. God damn it! What's wrong with me? I can't say the words right. Um, you've talked about him already, Kevin. If you want to elaborate a little bit further, I um, you know let us all know why he is amazing. Yeah, he's he's actually considers himself a real life ninja. He uh, he's learned the ways and everything, and he's he actually still does. You can go to his website and buy DVDs on how to like train like a ninja and do movie stunts for ninjas and everything. Like I, I've contemplated it, but they're kind of pricey, and I know it's not going to be anything that I'm ever going to watch. So. <laughs> I like um, it. like he'd be like, listen, if you ever find a ninja star at a flea market, this is how you throw it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this was his real break into uh, movies, and after this, I mean, he did he did a whole handful of them, including the trilogy that I was talking about: Pray for Death and Rage of Honor, very good. Nine Deaths of the Ninja, not so good, but <laughs> if you're a completist, definitely check it out. Uh, he did Black Eagle with Jean Claude Van Damme. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. No. No. And then Blind Fury, which I highly recommend with Rutger Hauer. Oh, well, all right then. You got to get uh I have that on DVD and I've not watched it. Well, it's it's, like it's amazing. Yeah. I I love Blind Fury. It's one of my favorites of his out of his filmography. All right. So then we have uh, Christopher George as Venerius, which always felt like venereal every time they say his name. Um yeah, I didn't realize this was the guy that was the lead actor in Grizzly. That made me so happy to look this up. Like he was the main <laughs> like he he's also a presence. Like he he chews up the scenery. Like he knows what kind of oh, film he's, he's in. He's so good. He 
outside of Franco Nero and Chokasugi, like it, it's it's a close third for Christopher George. Just the weird man baby performance that he gives in this is just unbelievable. Like, but yeah, he he pops up in a ton of amazing films. Uh, uh, he was in City of the Living Dead, the Fulci film, uh, The Exterminator, which is an amazing revenge movie, Day of the Animals, and Grizzly, um, which is a great double feature. Uh, Day of the Animals has Leslie Nielsen fighting a bear. Um, if you haven't seen that one, he was in Pieces, Mortuary, Graduation Day. Like the dude pops up in so many amazing genre films. Like I like that he just yells ninja. Like he's just like calling out. Like, you know. And also, if he's more your type, he was. Uh, I didn't realize this. He was in the 1974 uh, one of the uh, monthly one of the months of 1974. He was in Playgirl. Oh wow! I'll have to take a check. I'll have to to check out his Venarius and see how that looks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, it was like it was one of those things where I'm like, like he, like he looked familiar, and I'm like, oh shit, he's in Grizzly. So that made me like, and he plays a good guy in that. And this one, he just like again, I think he knew exactly the film he was in, and he just leaned into it. It was great. He was a good bad guy. Like he felt like like if like if Bond ran out of villains to run into, he would eventually deal with this guy. Like he's like the beginning, like the guy that would be at the beginning of a film. Like you took care of Anarius, now you move on to the the, the real bad guy. I liked him in this. Um, what kind of cream takes care of that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we have uh, Alex Courtney as Frank. I don't have anything else from him. He was like, other than. I don't know. He looked like Stephen Wright, but like a little bit more like in shape Stephen Wright. <laughs> that would have been amazing had it been like been a Stephen Wright. Wright. <laughs> I I wrote down uh, I, I, Tom Jones a few times. Yeah, bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's okay in this. Like it's just you know like his role kind of flip flops, but that's kind of the character. Like yeah. you kind of get that vibe. Um, so yeah, I don't have much else from him. Like he's still working. He's still out there doing things, but it's like, I looked up, I'm like, yeah, there's nothing really of note for me, but he's still out there working. Uh, we have Will Hare as dollars. Uh, Steve, you, yeah. Yeah. So I'm watching the film and I'm like, God, I know that guy. I'm like, why do I know him? Why do I know him? And immediately I'm like, he's from a horror film. And I, I initially thought he was from Friday 13th. I'm like, he feels like he's, uh, maybe like the, the, not the grave digger. I guess it's a grave digger. The, the, the person who's supposed to be watching over Jason's grave in part six. Um, but then I popped up a, open uh, IMDb and then I realized he was the crazy grandfather in Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is yeah. he's got the one scene in that movie. And it's it's just really weird. And but it's a very memorable scene of him telling his uh, his grandson why uh, Christmas night should be a night he should be afraid or Christmas Eve, I should say. So um, but yeah, that was the big thing that I, I realized that he I knew him from. But he was in a couple other things. Uh, um and now my brain is failing me, but who's in uh, Back to the Future? Yeah, I I can't remember his character. Paul in that. Peabody. It's been a while. He, he's the one who's got the shotgun at the beginning. Not the beginning. Is in the he middle. at the farmhouse? That yeah, they, they, when okay. he goes back oh, okay. in time, and yeah. Okay. I like how I got a Silent Night, Deadly Night, and like uh, he was in other movies. Yeah, he was in Back <laughs> to the Future, like one of the biggest movies of the eighties, and. If we've if we've learned anything on this show and the one I do with Kevin is that we always go to like the lesser known. And we're like, oh, yeah. I was gonna say yeah. I was talking to somebody about Jack Kirby uh, recently, and I was like, you know, the guy who did uh, uh, the dinosaur comic, and they were like, what? I was like, what? That dinosaur one? I can't even remember the name of it now. Oh, um, um, Devil Dinosaur. Yeah, Devil Dinosaur. <laughs> and they were like Jack Kirby. 
It's like, yeah, the him. And he was like, you mean the Jack Kirby? <laughs> yeah, 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 the dinosaur guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, and so we have uh, Zachy Noy as the hook. I guess he was in a lot of different canon productions. He was Lemon Popsicle. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. He's an Israeli actor. So yeah. he definitely was somebody. I think he was big on Israeli TV. So uh, Golan and Globus knew him from that and pulled him over. Yeah. Was he doing a German accent or did I? was I just terribly missed? Like, I thought he was doing a German accent. I don't in the movie. know what he was doing. Okay. I, yeah. I think he was trying to do a German okay. accent. Yeah, and then we have uh, Constantine Gregory as Mr. Parker. I couldn't place him in anything else. He's still working, but I liked him in this. So I just want to mention he was like the right hand man of Venarius. I liked him because he was just like the prim British guy, you know. That yeah, is, that his goes death out. is so like... his death is so like sudden and kind of sad. Yeah. Like, it's so like... funny though. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, he's a British character actor. He pops up in some interesting things uh, to the Devil a Daughter, the Hammer film, um, based on one of the books by the author who did. Uh, um, devil rides out um okay. he was in diamonds are forever the bond film some of all fears shanghai nights i figure i bring that up with my jackie chan kick recently uh, but chan he kick. he's done a lot of work in hollywood as a russian dialect coach oh yeah so unfortunately he wasn't a german dialect coach so it couldn't help uh, <laughs> the hook in this i just want to point out you said jackie chan kick i just like that you're like you're like a jackie chan kick and a punch and whatever else you've been watching with jackie chan <laughs> Um, yeah, so that that's the main people. There's other ones in here. There's a guy uh, that went, what was named Pee Wee. So I thought that was funny that like they kept calling him Pee Wee like the entire time he was in the like in the village. That um, that so it never is quite clear what um, oh what's his name uh, um, Frank. Like what his business is that he has with his wife and like there was some land. I think it's a coconut plantation. Yeah, and it's like but then. Like there's like a whole bunch of people that live there and like they're scared off because uh Venarius and company want to like, you know, scare people off this land. And it's like it's it's just almost like you wonder if it's like indentured servitude or not. Like it's never quite clear what's going on with this relationship with them and the workers, other than like they like the workers and they like their land. And it's I don't know, it's just like it's never spelled out entirely, but one of the main guy characters is named Pee-wee, and you see him a couple times, and I like that uh that like the one time he, he's really excited, I was like, oh, Pee Wee's having an adventure, so I enjoyed that. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like so, um, the the plot of this film is a little, it's a little weird. Like, and that sounds like that's going to probably be what our our running theme with the year is with canon films that it kind of goes all over the place because it starts off with like the first ten minutes of um, Franco Nero's character Cole, like like proving that he's worthy of being a ninja. And it's pretty great. That sequence, the whole 10 minutes is awesome. I, I really, really liked it. I thought like his different um, ways of evading the other ninjas. I also liked that the ninjas were all color-coded. I also like that. <laughs> because yeah, like, very, had, very easy to tell who is who. Yeah, it's like a video game. It's like, all oh, the guys in red, they're not as strong as the one guy dressed in black. Like, you don't want to deal with the guy dressed in black until the end. He's the end boss. Yeah, so, that's why I said Chekhov's ninja. <laughs> you see him, or like he's gonna come back in the final half hour. There you go. But then there's the double fake of like him of uh, Nero getting to like the the master, and then he bows and cuts the guy's head off, and then you find out it's a fake head. Yeah, like yeah. There, there's some good gore gags throughout <laughs> that first ten minutes, and even the the beheading. It looks really bad, 
but it looks kind of disgusting at the same time. Yes. It looks like he just hit a hunk of ham with a sword. <laughs> <laughs> and like it grosses me out every time. Yeah. And I picked up the Blu-ray for this, so now I got to see it in like a beautiful 2K transfer. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to see the meat hunks fly. Oh. But then like there's still something to be like I like I don't know why they chose to put Nero in white cuz I feel like of all like being a ninja and operating in the shadows <laughs> and being huh. like this like ultimate like fighting like you know warrior white seems like a bad color to wear especially when you're trying I mean the art of ninjutsu or um uh, what, you know, yeah. whatever the real name is I I don't think it was actually referred to as ninjutsu um it's it's the art of stealth, like assassination. <laughs> yeah. So like white seems like the worst thing, but it's not as bad as uh, oh my god, what was the one Alamo Drafthouse put out? Um, uh, Miami Connection. Miami Connection. It's not as bad as the ninjas driving motorcycles. <laughs> I mean, I I can't think of anything that's less stealth than that. But well, it's funny that yeah, you bring that up. White's pretty bad. As the movie started, I was also thinking, I'm like, wow, they're really going for some Foley work here. And I'm like, I thought ninjas are supposed to be quiet, but like every branch that they step on <laughs> is a crack. And like, there's all these sound effects going on. I'm like, wow, these are like the least stealthy ninjas I've ever seen. Well, there's a bit too. Well, one of the ninjas is walking down like a tree branch while Nero's walking by. And I'm like, how do you not hear him? Right. Like, <laughs> it's like, and then he turns and dispatches him and it's fine. But then you turn out, turn out as this big test. Uh, and then I like that when all the other ninjas show up, like one of them pulls like a wooden, wooden board out of like his like gi, like whatever his ninja outfit is. But the one guy has a cut across his face and that's real. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> that'd be like, like being an American gladiators and breaking one of the gladiators arms and be like, sorry, dude, I had to get past you to, to throw this ball on this hoop. Like just deal with it. Like, like <laughs> it's a serious um, business. It is. Oh. It's just like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I had to run you over with my Atlas sphere and I broke a rib. It's just, that's what the game is, dude, you know, move it on. But the, like, there's like a whole little mini story of of Cole proving his worth, and yeah. I kind of I kind of dug it. Like I was kind of on board, and I'll be honest, I was on board for all of this movie. But you can tell that there's moments where, like, as you go along, where it, it's trying to be like this kind of serious action movie. But then there's these moments of like comedy that are being forced in, and I'm not talking about Nero's performance because there's moments that are legitimately like funny, but there's music cues. And like cuts that you could tell that uh, Menachem is like, no, 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 this will play well with like the yeah. audiences. Like there's there is a wah wah horn a couple times that played <laughs> in this film that I'm like, do we need a wah wah horn in a ninja film? Like it felt a little weird. Yeah, yeah. I I I uh, I, I don't know that. Uh, how do I put this? I I don't want to say that uh, I felt the entire movie was comical because I didn't. But like. Uh, there's definitely that sensibility of there. There are certain things that happen in the movie that like are cliches at this point, and I can't say that like oh they originated from this film, but like there are certain things that are just comical because we've seen them all before as well. Like, um, and this doesn't come later into the film, but there's literally a point where a character who dies, I won't say who, you know, talks about how <laughs> don't want to ruin this for anybody. How yeah. excited he is to uh, the war has ended, and uh, you know he's gonna go marry a girl and live forever like it's it's literally that thing of it's like know. a futurama gag yeah. where it's like you know nothing's gonna stop me now <laughs> except for bonitis um <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah I, there's 
there's those types of things that happen within the movie, and there's definitely that sort of I don't want to call it camp. Like there's a, a there's a, a earnestness to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what's interesting too is is that uh, you know it it tries to walk that line of being a serious martial arts film, and then also trying to be. I, a revenge story to some extent, not not a revenge story. What's the word I'm looking for here? A well, no, like so, like so. You got like Cole's character who is kind of he's proven he's a ninja, and yeah. they give him a blessing, and he goes back to his buddy Frank's place, which I guess is a, a coconut plantation, which we just found out. Which I honestly <laughs> thought Kevin was going to say a cocaine plantation when he said, sure. <laughs> you know, you just tap into those coconuts. That's where you get cocaine from. That's why they're called coconuts. Um, that's that's why Venerius wanted it yeah. so bad. And so you find out, like you know, like the, so. Though I talked about this being a west in a way Cole wanders in being like you know like the stranger with like well he has a name it's Cole but like he still is playing like he's this kind of stranger with no name but his it's Cole, Cole yeah but he doesn't drink until the next scene did you notice that yeah. he's like no 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 drinking I'll uh, you know I'll have some liqueur it's good for the stomach um but like he you know he's there to help they like, talk to his buddy and his buddy's kind of like who used to be like a soldier like him but it's kind of fallen away from it and then he finds out that like you know Venarius and company are trying to rough up and scare away everybody so they can like force him to sell the land because of oil, which if you just take the word oil and switch it out for like, you know, trains gold. are coming coal or, or, yeah, tra- the, or yeah. there's gold in the town or something yeah, or coal. like a yeah. gold mine, a gold mine. Yeah. Or, or we know the railroads coming. It's going to be worth a lot more money. So that feel that that's what felt like a Western to me is that Franco Nero shows up just in the nick of time to defend the homestead from the big businessman is trying to scare off everybody. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. there's even the beats of him uh, watching them terrorize the town and take money from the local businesses, yeah. and I, I mean, it's straight out of a Django film. Yeah, uh, the stranger rolling in, seeing what's going on in the town, and then eventually taking action to fix things while also helping himself. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you feel about when like, you first showed up this small town with dollars? A guy who had a jacket with porn on one side of his jacket and crucifixes <laughs> on the other. I made I made the comment on my notes here that that's he, it's a dollar store. Like that's what it is. Not that the dollar store sell porn and crosses, but his name's Dollars and he's selling wah, stuff cheap. <laughs> that's the time for the wah wah horn, not later. Um, but you know, like he sees the hook and his his heavy like roughing up people, and he's like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that. And then when it comes back to like peewee and folk like he ends up i like that cole's wearing a cowboy hat too like he's wearing like a stetson so i i, yeah. I, I realize that i'm going off topic here but this just popped in do my head do you know this show steve no have you ever had somebody try to sell something to you out of their jacket no but i've had people like when i was in vegas like a couple years ago everybody rushed up to me and handed me a card for something right, right. so not the same thing but that's still kind of like I didn't ask you for this. Why are you rushing me? Okay. Now, I, out of out of trunks for sure, but not out of uh not out of jackets. That's where you get ninja stars. I'll never forget in high school, uh I was probably 17 at the time. A buddy of mine's dad took us up to a game at uh in Detroit for the Lions, uh where they're playing the Browns. And uh we got off at a McDonald's and we were going in to get something. And this guy walks up to me and he literally opens his coat and he's like, "You looking for a watch?" And like immediately i was just taking back i'm like am i in a movie right now like i had never seen that happen in real life and i only thought it was something that happened in movies but yeah i mean I, i've had more often of the like hey are you looking to buy speakers out of the back of this truck no because yeah. i'm afraid you're gonna take me in that truck and murder me but <laughs> when, when I, first- I feel i feel like maybe in chinatown in new york city um 
I feel like somebody tried to sell me Oakleys. <laughs> when, when I first moved to Cleveland, I, I happened like I was with my my manager at the time of the store I was working at. We ended up stopping someplace, and and the lot over there was like a tractor trailer that was open, and they were selling shoes out of the back of it. And I was like, they had like table set up, so you yeah. don't know where these shoes came from. And I was looking like looking at shoes, and the guy's like, "What's your size?" And I'm like, "Whatever." I told him. And he goes back and grabs a box. He's like, "Look at these shoes. They're pretty good shoes." And this was right after right after nine eleven occurred. And he was like, he's like, you see that box? There's a flag on that box. That's America. And I'm like, that doesn't make me want to buy the shoes. Like, <laughs> Support your country, yeah, Paul. I was like, you gotta yeah, how buy- could you? How could you hate America like that? <laughs> Not buy those shoes. I, I was so like just distraught and off put. I'm like, I'm good. And I didn't. I did not buy shoes out of the mysterious trailer in the lot next to where we're at. I think we went to an Arthur Treacher's or something. It was so. <laughs> Which no one, if, if no one knows, imagine like a worse Long John Silver's. <laughs> I didn't even think those still existed. Are those still no, around? No. Yeah. This, okay. this no, was, I think they're still around. Oh, there are there. I don't yeah. know. This is like you go in there and like the signs don't work because. Because you're like, is this place still even open? You're like, I guess I'll buy fish and then maybe shoes next door. I don't know. There's a flag on that box. Anyway. That's a that's a Saturday if I've that's ever heard one. So, um, all right. So, anyway, so let's just talk about Venarius for a second. Like, his uh, his, his, his setup. Like, uh, like, like, so I will, I will give credit to this film and I'll give credit to Menachem uh, uh, because after watching The Apple – and seeing how scattershot that film is, I did not question the office layout of Venarius's like it lair until later. Like I was like, okay, that makes sense. No, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. Steve, what was Venarius's like layout for his office? <laughs> what was that? Uh, it's where the All Valley uh, Championship happens. In uh, <laughs> well, no, 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 that, that's the cockfighting ring. I'm talking oh, about uh, earlier. Um, we'll get to cockfighting yeah. in a second, but. But when you had most of the scenes where he was dealing with his underlings, what was his office setup? God, I feel like I'm putting on, I'm on, put, being put on the spot. It now, was a full size swimming pool. Oh, with, oh okay. With, with All right. cubicles around, like not even cubes, but like desks and phones around it. Yeah, that's okay. Like, and that that makes it sound like there's partitions. No, it's it, it is it is pool, and then three feet to the right is a desk and a phone. I guess I didn't well, really uh, think of it as his office, though. I just thought of it like. No, he, that's his office because they rummage through paperwork up there. Yeah. But uh, don't forget what's in the pool as well. Yeah, what's in the pool? Steve? Well, it's ladies. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's like a Busby Berkeley, like you know, like water number. Like it's, it's like gold diggers of twenty three, and they're like, he's like, all right, ladies, let's let's continue. Like he's such. And, yeah. I think he refers to it as his living mobile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's him like doing like synchronized swimming with his lady folk, and it's like, all right, that doesn't make sense. Like, like I watched the movie and I didn't really because I was like, oh, this guy is like egomaniacal, whatever. Like, you got to have a villain that's over the top. I'm like, okay, that's that, that I get it, but I'm like, wait, what? Like, in hindsight, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever because if he's going to go and direct his vision of a living mobile. Why is that like three feet to the right of like his business empire? Like, why does that? Even, no, that's not even a volcano lair. This is like a room. Like, like, sorry, this is like a floor on a in a building, like an office building. Yeah, I guess um, I, I, 
I think of it uh, particularly like movies of the 70s and the 80s, like, and I'm not saying good movies, but I'm just saying that <laughs> movies in general, if there was an over-the-top villain, usually they had some sort of flair about them um, or some sort of weird thing that like, oh, you know, like for instance, and this is a good movie, but like 78 Superman, like, you know. Lex Luthor's lair is underground and it's uh, a penthouse suite kind of thing. But and even like, his pool area is like a flooded part of that terminal of yeah. where he was at. So that kind of fit with like it's it's forgotten and gone and he's just living the secret luxury life. This one's more like, yeah, I got to have the pool guy come ever so long, <laughs> often ever so long to pull out like excess hair and a dead woman. Like you don't know yeah. what's going on in this pool. Like it is weird. And then, and then off to the right of that, behind where Dollars, the old man who, that during the scene where they're breaking and sneaking around, if you notice, his head's never, like, his head's always to the back of the camera. Like, he's always looking away, and they dump it all this dialogue of, like, huh, it's a weird office. Huh, never seen a place like this before. Oh, are them some blue movies? Like, you never see. I forgot about that part. You never see the front of his head. They yeah. just dubbed in all the stuff, and I'm like, if you're sneaking around, maybe you shouldn't make active commentary on the office. Maybe they shouldn't have brought dollars into any of this. <laughs> that's like bringing that's like bringing Blue in from old school along with you. Just have him just like talking about everything while it's going on. He's like, oh, this is a weird office. Oh, look at it. Hope there's titties. Like, it's just like, shut up. We're trying to find what's going on with this, like, this town. I completely forgot about that whole, like, I hope there's blue movies in here. Like, I don't think I've seen any of these. And then it happens to be a, a like a documentary of, yeah. of, of, like, the bad guy, like, stalking somebody. Like, Kevin, can you talk to me about the quality of the film that they watched in the movie? Like, what was going on with that? Somehow it was better than the quality of the film we were watching. I don't know how that's possible. But this black and white, probably just like a Super 8 uh, film reel of what I assume is Shokasugi's graduation <laughs> test. Um, it looks better than what we're watching. I yeah. don't understand. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the, the whole crux of this film is that, like, since Frank is not wanting to sell because you find out that Cole discovers that there's a large amount of oil that's possibly there on this, this land. So Venerius is like escalating. Like he keeps adding more and more men to try to like crush like Frank's will to sell. And then by, by also Susan, Susan George's Marianne, which Marianne, Susan George, whatever interchangeable. Like, I, I feel bad because she's an actress and I'm like, I don't know her name as a character. Well, she's a woman who knows what she wants and isn't afraid. To... That's true. And she uses a shotgun and then she ends up sleeping with Franco Nero, which we would all do. So it's fine. Uh, and then wait, but, can we can we step back for just please. a second? Okay, you, uh, if you want to examine that, I would sleep with Franco Nero. Yes, I no, would. no. <laughs> I have to. I have to give him credit. Like, there's a a scene that like could have been a salacious sex scene, and it's literally like they cut out before any of that even happens. And I'm like, wow, I was not expecting that kind of restraint in a canon film. But there's this, yeah, it, it's yeah. pretty tasteful. Like she gets in bed, she seduces him. Well, I don't know if she's so much seduces him she gets in the bed yeah and uh he turns the light out and that's the end of the scene yeah but the, like there's this whole bit where you kind of get the notion that like uh um like frank is like yeah you know like basically he's like i can't yeah i can't do what she needs anymore like you know like i'm like he keeps waffling between being like the shell of a man and wanting to be the important person so then she goes off and you know franco's the nero and then the next morning he's kind of bitter about it it's like 
I'm pretty sure you gave them the green light the night before. Like, I felt like it was a little weird. Well, I thought that the impotency, the impotency scene was written in specifically just so it was like, well, we don't want to make it too look too bad that, like, Franco Nero is going to screw his buddy's wife. Like, yeah. that's kind of, like, I felt why it was there. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, which was just bizarre. Like, I was not expecting that in the middle of a ninja movie. I had actually posted that <laughs> on Facebook. I'm like, wow, there's... I was not expecting a discussion about uh, impotency in the middle of my ninja movie, but yeah, there yeah, it is. Frank Frank's character is, has a depressing uh, arc in this film. <laughs> he does. He does. Because he, does. he, really he does. finally gets the backbone. Um, I guess spoil, spoiler alert for this uh, movie that <laughs> probably nobody's going to watch. Um, that came out before you were born. I just want to... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so... Frank it tells Frank O'Neill all this stuff about how he's an alcoholic. He's lost all the abilities he used to have. Uh, he's impotent. He can't please his wife anymore. He he goes through all that. And eventually, finally finds his backbone and uh, tells his wife that he's changed and everything. And immediately gets killed. <laughs> like it's so depressing. So yeah. So we should say Venarius. Like he he runs through his men that that all kind of falls apart. And then eventually someone's like, well, this guy Cole, he's a ninja. He's like, well, I want a ninja. So then that's when. Um, oh, my God. Everything that Christopher George does involving saying the word ninja <laughs> is the funniest stuff I've ever great. seen in my life. Yeah. Especially like later on the film when he has that line about where is my ninja? Yes. I want my I want my black ninja. <laughs> that. You know, I, I text Paul after I because I just watched this in January when I was deciding what film to pick for you guys. I was like, let me just rewatch this and see if it'll be worth giving to them as a suggestion. And uh, so I rewatched it the other night and I was like, you know, what? I think I'm good for another decade on this <laughs> film after watching it twice in two months. Yeah. Um, but that the stuff with Christopher George uh I will never get sick of. It'll always be funny to me. <laughs> well, I also yeah. love that, like, in, in the end, when he's yelling out to Franco Nero's n character, he's just yelling the word ninja, but he's yelling it, like, the way you would, like, if you're, like, looking for your cat. Like, <laughs> yeah, or, or, like, a small child, <laughs> yeah. like, that's playing hide-and-go-seek or something. Yeah. He's just like, ninja! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And I... It, Christopher George is out of control in this. Yeah. There is literally a moment where he sucks on his thumb after he a does. line. He does. Yeah, you're right. I saw that. <laughs> like, he's yeah. such a ridiculous man baby villain. I love it. It's yeah. so funny. It's great. I, I, it, yeah. So, um, so yeah, he eventually hires uh, Show Kasugi. I'm going to, I don't know why I can't, st I stumble over that word. I, Show I, Kasugi. Great. Congratulations. Uh, he, hired, <laughs> he hires the black ninja to fight the white ninja, you know, whatever that means. Uh, but then, but he, but he goes like gleefully destroying everything. Like he kills, he kills Frank, spoiler, and he threatens, you know, um, he threatens uh, Marianne, but he goes through and like burns like the plantation area, like 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 almost giggling while he does it. Like, but like it's it. But there's a nice interplay to show like how he will like he's hired to do a job. He's going to just kill everybody. But then you got Cole going into you know um, the businessman tower with the pool and how he doesn't want to kill anybody and how he dispatches all the guards. So you see that there's definitely a line about like like the 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 idea of killing is not honorable to Cole, uh, but you know, but show will just go ahead and do it. You know, like it doesn't, it does not matter. Um, so I like that interplay, but 
uh, the, the, but does the whole rampant, like, you know, I'm going to burn all these huts. And then with Frank, I will say him getting his throat cut is pretty brutal. Like it, it is, it is savage. Yeah. yeah. In front of his wife yeah. who is tied up. Yeah. Like it's, it's, Oh yeah. She's tied up as bait to bring him out. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a brutal scene. Um, but it's kind of, kind of bring things back to a, some, a little bit of lighthearted, uh, <laughs> stuff in this film. How quick are people ready to get a cockfight started? <laughs> <laughs> I was just flipping through my notes and yeah, I, I no, have cockfight in because, all caps a yeah. few times. Um, um, <laughs> they can get a cockfight going in the matter of like seconds. Seconds. Well, yeah. that was my other comment I made on Facebook while watching the movie was is that I was not expecting there to be this many cockfighting scenes in the middle of my ninja movie. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, there, there is two and a half. Yeah, I will say that there's the one at the beginning that you end up seeing, like, and the fact that he's so excited too when he Frank finds out. Frank is so excited for a cockfight, <laughs> and then whenever uh, whenever Pee Wee and company come back, like, because they were scared away by Venarius's men, but then Pee Wee and company shows up. He's like, "Hey, welcome back. Want to do a cockfight?" And they're like, "Yeah, I happen to have two chickens right here with me. It's fine." <laughs> Everyone just pulls money and chickens out of nowhere, yeah. like this, like Michael Vick's running through the crowd of like, "I got five on this. It's fine," you know, like, and then at the end. The showdown between the two ninjas is actually in a cockfighting ring. I don't know, if, Steve, I don't know if you noticed yeah, that or not. I thought it was the All Valley uh, High uh, yeah. Karate Championship no. ring. So, <laughs> so this was no. like, so yeah, here's the, here's your trivia for this. The film's fight to the death finale was shot in a real-life cockfighting ring in the Philippines. I did not know that. Yeah, It, it, it says on the outside of it, like, I, whatever city they're in, cockfight arena in, like, giant, <laughs> bold font. <laughs> it's... But, it plays such a big part yeah. in this film, but it feels it feels very appropriate that like these two guys are gonna like have a showdown in a cockfight arena. It feels about right. You yeah, know? I'm wondering if it's you know like some sort of yeah like metaphor. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, wow, do I, I give this think, movie that I don't much credit? Too much credit. I was gonna say too I don't think credit. Menachem Golan is as capable of a metaphor. <laughs> like I feel like he he found a cool location. And it's a kind of an arena, and you could have Cole walking around dispatching all of the people around. Which, by the way, I just want to mention, like, for the ninja being like these ultimate warriors, which they are, right? Um, that ultimate ninja warrior isn't that the name of the the um, the, the big competition that they do? Like, still the, the one with ninja warrior. The Rock? No, the, the one, so NBC is called Ninja Warrior. Yeah, but, ninja one, warrior. Yeah, but yeah. the one in Japan was like Ultimate Ninja Warrior. Um, so I feel like these guys are like these killing machines. But they have no regard for physical materials. It's like you throw your sword and you leave it. Like I feel like these guys, like, are they just made of money that they can keep buying swords and knives? Because through the process of him dispatching everybody, he throws his sword, his sigh. He has like six pounds of caltrops that he throws at people. Like he has eighty-seven flares and smoke bombs. Like, are ninjas made of money and disposable weapons? They're all just basically Batman. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I will say that this movie also features one of my favorite effects, and it's uh, movies always do this uh, from this era where uh, you see somebody throw something, and it's that quick cut of like the person with it stuck in their face <laughs> or their chest or whatever. Like you yeah, know, like a ninja star to the chest is like maybe like an inch deep, and they're dead. Yeah, like, that's <laughs> it. they collapse. And there's dead. some there's some ninja stars to the face in this though that are pretty brutal. 
Um, what are the uh, what are the the weapons that he has that are they, they look like a uh, um, jacks that you would like? That's play the caltrops. Okay, yeah. right. is what they're called? That's what they're called, caltrops. Yeah, think, something yeah. like that. Like those, um, those are meant to be more of a like a distraction on the floor. Well, you like, yeah, you put them on the ground so they're people step on them, and then it slows them down. Yeah, or... it's, they're they're kind of like you know ninja Legos. You just oh. throw them on the ground, and people are like, "Oh, yeah, I can't walk." You on definitely this. don't throw them directly at someone's <laughs> face. I know that much. <laughs> I might not, I might not be well versed in uh, ninjutsu, but no. I do know that much. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, but it was like how Cole was like, "I'm gonna get rid of all these weapons," and then the, the, he ends up using like a blowgun and puts like 87 darts in the one guy. I'm like. I don't know if he's dead, but he's really so, annoyed. You know, I want to talk about the relationship between uh, Hook, Mister Parker, and Venarius because that's <laughs> that's also like as far as the comedy goes in this. Yeah. I don't think it gets much better than that because every time Hook reports back to Venarius, he's not allowed to speak or look directly <laughs> at him, <laughs> so he has to speak through Mister Parker. Yeah. Um, so later on, after Hook is gone, because he gets fired and he just wanders off, he's done. He doesn't get killed. Um, Mr. Parker, we get a little bit more with him, but Mr. Parker's death scene is hysterical. Like, <laughs> yeah. it might be outside of, like, I want my Black Ninja now, might be <laughs> the hardest laugh I got out of the movie. Yeah, because, uh, like, he gets. Paul, like, can you describe? <laughs> please describe. Is, Mr. It, Parker's is it an death. arrow or, like, a I think ninja- it's an arrow in the hand, right? It's yes. an arrow in the yeah, hand. Yeah, through the wrist or something. Yeah, and it's like, he's like, oh, I think I've been hurt. And then doesn't Venerius, like, shoot him or something? Like, he's well, done yeah, with it. Yeah, like, he. Yeah, because, it, because Cole threatens. He's like, oh, if, if you view, if, like, if you value his life. Like you'll 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 stand down and and, and like Venerius just shoots him. Well, no, he says, "Dude, what makes you think I value his life?" Yeah. And then he shoots him. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and then and then Vener- like then, sorry, then uh, then he's just kind of like distinguished gentleman death of like <laughs> oh oh like I forget what he says exactly, but he, he just sa- kind of he says, "But sir," but yeah, sir. and then falls over dead. <laughs> dead. That's it. Yeah, it's a very polite British death. You know. Yeah. He delivers it with all the cadence of a C three PO unit. Yeah, yeah. Like, it could have been Anthony Daniels just dying right there, you know. But yeah, it's like he's out. Like oh it's like God. considering that he was kind of like the right hand man to Venarius the entire time, and also Venarius goes out so fast too. Like, like once you introduce the Black Ninja, these guys are completely disposable. I'll, like, I'll admit, I kind of forgot about the Black Ninja at that point because I'm like, <laughs> when he kills Venarius, I'm like, oh, that's it. That's the end of the movie. And then I'm like, yeah. oh wait, no, we still have to get to. Well, I also like that Cole is left in a car. Whenever, um, uh, I'm sorry, like whenever that, Mr. Parker, Mr. Parker, yeah. I'm sorry, I forgot his name already. He's just so so rememberable. Uh, that's not <laughs> even a word. But he goes inside. He's like, oh, I have I have the white ninja in the car. And then they go out, and it's like the car's empty, and like seven guys have their necks snapped. I'm like, I'm like, that's what you get for leaving a ninja in the car, like unattended. Like, what did you think was going to happen? You know, like, I you thought, thought leaving was ice cream in a car on a hot day was bad. <laughs> yeah. Never leave a ninja unattended. Yeah, it just that's what it felt like. I'm just like, oh, you're going to trust him to behave? Like, you've already brought him, you've already brought him to his intended goal. Good luck with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, there, were, there was the whole sequence of Cole taking out all the guards around the cockfighting ring that I liked. I mean, I talked about him, you know, all his disposable weapons, but it's like, it shows him finally being like, you know what? Like, I have to cross this line. And he does it. And I, I really dug that because, like, he was really trying to adhere to the code of, like, you know, like, honorable death. But at this yeah. point, it's like he's been pushed so far with his buddy being killed and, like, everything he was trying to protect is gone. Like, I'm just going to take everybody out. I really like that sequence. Yeah. And it kind of mirrors the first 10 minutes of the film as well. Yeah. 
So you get that precedent of what he's capable of, and then you get the payoff in the final act. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I, I like how they introduce Shokasugi in the beginning. You kind of forget about him. Like uh, Steve said, um, it's nice when he pops back up. And uh, the final showdown is good. Like for it's a good fight. It's actually a yeah, good fight for, sequence for yeah. what it is. Uh, Mike Stone did a great job choreographing this uh, fight sequence between, I guess himself because let's be honest, Franco Nero is not doing any of the stunts or martial arts in this. But uh, Shokasugi versus Mike Stone at the end is a, for a canon film from 1981, um, really good. I mean, there was a shot of um, Franco Nero shirtless, uh, you know, working with nunchucks. I think that was. <laughs> oh, you could tell me. he was definitely as proficient as Shokasugi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot to mention, like nunchucks was the other thing growing up that you had to have a pair of nunchucks. Like, oh yeah, everybody. Like, and all, and then what you did with that was swing them around once and then bap yourself You're in so the face, <laughs> and then you never use them again. You know, is what you did. So, um, so so this film and there. So what? Like I talked about this earlier, and I want to remember this, like to. Mention it from the the book I was talking about, the Hollywood A Go Go. Um, they talk about how this uh, Death Wish Two, Lady Chat- Chatterley's Lover and Body and Soul were all tied up. Like they're part of a deal for Columbia Pictures International for distribution, and this is the first major studio to agree to like to distribute Canon films internationally. Like after these guys took over, and that was like their first like major contact with the studio. And so up to this point, they were kind of viewed as a laughing stock. But this was like what kind of gave them like legitimate footing in terms of distribution. So Enter the Ninja actually helped Canon usher in like their golden age. So it, it's worth mentioning that the success of this film and then the distribution deal signed up with the other three because uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover was not a success. And I can't speak to the other ones, but this one was the moneymaker. Yeah. And it's, it's it's so funny looking at this goofy, fun little film as being like a catalyst for a cultural movement with these ninjas <laughs> popping up everywhere and the success of canon going forward. It's yeah. so weird that like this, this was the film. Yeah. And it seems odd to say this about the movie, but like uh, bef- before I'd seen this, I, I feel like I saw it as a kid, but I, I'm, it may just be that thing of like ninjas being in the air, um, <laughs> at the time, um, with feet out, <laughs> yeah. striking people in the face. <laughs> but, uh, you know, after I bought the Canon documentary, I immediately bought Ninja three because they kind of highlight that movie a little bit more than this mm-hmm. and, and its sequel. Um, and I will say compared to Ninja three, this movie is actually quite restrained. Like so, you've seen Ninja Three: The Domination? Oh yeah, yeah, oh. I have it on Blu-ray. And uh... <laughs> you're, like, you're like, I have the Criterion Collection version of Ninja Three. Yeah, Scream Factory did a really good uh, restoration of Ninja Three. If you guys haven't picked it up, I think it's fairly cheap now. Well, I ha- still... I have the one that they put out a uh, year or two ago, and then they put out another edition of it like in the last year for some reason. And it was oh. literally like well, right I, after I, I have bought the first it. one then. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. But, uh, yeah, I would say that this movie, like, it's it's quite enjoyable, but it's weird to say, like, this one's restrained. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's, it's for all its quirks and oddities, like, it's probably the most restrained of, and while I haven't seen the second one, which, Kevin, I think you said that's your favorite. Is that right? Yeah, it, it delivers more on being a straight ninja film. Okay. And it's also got a young, a very young uh, Kane Kasugi who ended up becoming a, a name for himself as well in recent uh, Scott Adkins ninja uh, movies. Um, 
but it's got him in the film as well. But it delivers more on being straight up a ninja movie rather than like this weird Filipino Western action ninja movie <laughs> that this one is. Well, I'll have to complete the trivia, the, the trivia, the <laughs> trilogy now because uh, I own the first one and I own the third one. I'll have to get the second one now. So yeah, it, it's funny. The second one's my favorite. I own two copies of it on DVD, one in like a box set, one on the regular uh, MGM release of it. But that's the only one I don't own on Blu-ray. <laughs> I was really disappointed with myself. Yeah, I will say that I was honestly surprised at how much fun I had with this film. Like, I, like, not that I'm not saying I would not have fun with Franco Nero, like, being the white ninja. Like, I knew I was, I knew I was going to like him. I, I knew I was going to love him. Like, let's just be honest. Like, it's Franco Nero. Like, like, Steve, I can't tell you how much I love Franco Nero. Like, I like, think you can. I, I, no, I do. Like, on a scale of <laughs> one to 10, it's a 13. Like, I, Paul, like, you got to get to street law. I, I you, which you like, have given me a copy of that. I will get to it. I, I promise. That's, that's my ultimate. Franco Nero, as far as I'm concerned, like, like, and you haven't even gotten to. No, it I haven't. Like I, I like so like I've seen Django. Like uh, I've seen um, Campaneros, the Mercenary, uh, Kioma, which is another Western that, like Steve, of all the westerns, I'd recommend for you to see. Maybe Kioma isn't it because the soundtrack is kind of grating, and it was like Kevin will argue with me about that. Oh but- no, it's grating. <laughs> I, <laughs> see, this is another case of where I thought you were going to say great. No, no, so, no, no, no. grating. Uh, um, but like, so it was it um, was it the Merc- no, it was Campaneros that has uh, oh um um what's his name uh, Jack Palance. Okay, yeah, That's, yeah with it, the it's hawk. Him, with him, the hawk named Marsha. Like, it, it, so if there's any, if there's any of them that you should watch, maybe like aside from Django, that would be a great one because like you have Jack Palance kind of just getting high and hanging out with a hawk. Like it's it's pretty great. Like because there's a point where he's sitting in bed and it definitely looks like he's just smoking weed and hanging out with like a falcon. Like how can that not be an amazing film I was to watch? Say sold. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, but Franco Nero's in that and like Thomas Millian, I think is that who is that. Who else is yeah. in that? Yeah. yeah. Like they're like it's it's a fun like uh like Western comedy that has some like dramatic bits, but like the, the interplay is amazing. And I love like I've just had this like love affair with like uh Franco Nero because I feel like he has a presence. He is just like even in this with him being dubbed over, like I still really enjoyed his performance in this. Unfortunately, it wasn't his voice, but I still liked the way he carried himself. Like, like, like Kevin, you're saying, like some of the stuff he would said, like we mentioned this earlier, some of his one-liners would be like way better with him saying it. But even the bar fight with him dealing with the hook and how he kind of dispatches the hook and his henchmen and then takes the guy's hook hand and sl- sta- slams it against the post and was like, like, hang around, I'll be back later. Like, yeah, even even yeah. the final shot of the film <laughs> is like one of the most Franco Nero things of all time. Yeah, yeah. Which we should just like, I, like let's talk about the intro credits real quick. I I loved how it was the black ninja doing all the different things, and then the credits end with the white ninja kicking him in the face. And that's and that is the way the movie starts. And it's not even a real kick; it is a missed kick. Yeah, it's it a is. slow motion, yeah. and you know you see him like move his head away. I'm like, that's oh, not even a real kick, but it's like this whole thing of like this. Black Black Ninja's badass. Who's this white ninja? And then the first the first shot is Franco Nero looking at the black ninja and then running away. I don't know. <laughs> Immediately like, <laughs> like like oh you're a badass? I'm going to run for my life. Like yeah. Again, beautiful scenery. Oh, they're yeah. on top of this like mountaintop overlooking the ocean. It's gorgeous. Yeah. 
but then he just runs away. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you mentioned the kick thing, though, missing, because I just remember, like, in high school, a buddy of mine, we were watching one of the Rocky movies, and he kept, like, whining, being like, look at how much he missed him by there. And I'm like, yeah, because it's all fake. Like... <laughs> You're not like you're not like proving to me that you know Rocky's oh, not. You're telling real, me Rock, like, Rocky the Rocky films are fixed. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, the very last shot of the film is after you know Cole saves the day, kills the Black Ninja, which also, by the way, kind of badass. Where he's like, "Give me an honorable death," and he's like, "Okay," and he bows to him and then just kills him, and it's like. That's kind of yeah. badass. And we get the return of the beheading again. Yeah. Something yeah. that was introduced in the first act of the film. Yeah. Which I honestly didn't think was going to happen. I just thought he was going to, like... Yeah, just be like, you don't deserve... Fall on the sword or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I, I I respect all that. I thought that was cool. But then, like, you know, Cole's leaving, and then, like, you know, um, uh, what, what's... Uh, I feel bad. I like the character. Marianne. Marianne. And she's like, oh, are you going to stick around? He was like, I'll be back. I'm like, whoa! Like... That's that's a that's a bold statement. And then he's leaving. He's going to the airport. And then you find like the hook is like working as like a cargo baggage guy at the airport. And so it's actually not a bad little joke because he was kind of disgraced working for Venarius and was fired. And now he's like even working at like a lower tier job. But then like Nero after after like killing like eighty seven guys and like you know killing his rival. And all of this, like, after being a person who served in the military that probably has untold levels of PTSD, just turns and winks. <laughs> I don't think well, they were he, thinking in he those also, terms. He also threatens Hook one more time. Oh, and yeah. says, like, yeah. he's going to kill him eventually or something. Yeah. And then Hook runs away. And then he turns towards the camera, <laughs> winks, and it ends. Well, I also thought it was weird that, like, he has a far better goodbye with dollars than he does with Marion. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> do we end with Marion or do we end with dollars? Oh, we should really have him talking to dollars for like a good minute and a half before we end <laughs> yeah. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> After the emotional goodbye with Marianne, let's 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 get the emotional dollars goodbye. <laughs> yeah, that that is a really weird choice. <laughs> but they, but yeah, it's like he turns and winks towards the camera, and then it's like. A, like you know it's just a golden globus production and that's it it's like yeah that was not called for but that seems about right like it just feels like this movie was trying to like be lighter than it had any right being because there's bits also like when venerius goes through his uh his like you know shopping mall complex and finds that all his guards have been dispatched and like there's like like 10 of them in one elevator and then two of them undressed correct like like stuck in like this like yeah. frozen embrace like together, and you hear like the the weird. It's not a, like a wah wah trumpet, but it's a comedic music moment. It's like, oh, there's this Cole being Cole again, putting putting guys in con, you know uh, weird positions and like all this stuff. It's like it, it's it's it, it's okay, but it's like it just feels like Menachem was like, no 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 no, this is the comedy bit. We have to show people it's comedy. Yeah, but I mean, how many like '80s movies would follow with? I mean, particularly Schwarzenegger's career, like that was almost built on like commando is nothing but like somebody suffering an awful death and him like coming up with a pithy one-liner like <laughs> well one-liner is one thing but yeah. having like a, a like a trumpet like yeah. announce that this is the comedy bit like with all these elevator guys knocked out like that that felt a bit much yeah i just feel like it's kind of a a uh, a front runner or not a front runner a precursor precursor to what we would get through most of the 80s particularly with you know schwarzenegger's career yeah he had to split 
you know, that's sorry, <laughs> that's the Running Man, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I just want to mention that ninjas use all of their tools, including the elevator, because I felt like that was appropriate. That, like he, <laughs> he just smashed all people using the elevator and the pool. I think I didn't somebody like a couple of ninjas. Well, the black ninja killed uh, Frank and threw him in the pool yeah. for everybody to find later. Yeah. Um, the hand claw strike to the forehead of one of the guards was brutal. Oh, yeah, brutal. Yeah. Oh, that was brutal. It's like I don't know if I kill the guy, but you know. That's a bad day. Like, like it's, you know. I definitely would stop fighting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just, um, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I just want to mention here. I put in my notes here. I want to see a modern day remake of this, but with Willem Dafoe as Mister Venarius. <laughs> like, think about that. Because I feel like this would be something Willem Dafoe would just like like chew into. It'd be a great to see him play that. Like you, you as you described, Kevin, like this frustrated man baby. Like I think I feel like there's just something there that would have been amazing. I wouldn't say it's the same character, but have you ever seen Once Upon a Time in Mexico? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I feel like he's got shades of that in that movie. Mm. Yeah, um, that, that's fair. Like it's I been can definitely see that. Yeah. So I, I think it'd been great to have, but I don't know who you'd have to play the Cole character. Like, cause I mean, cause you know, I don't know who you'd have, like, I don't know what foreign, uh, awesome entertainer you'd have with a dubbed American voice to play the part of, of Cole. <laughs> I would say, did you guys, uh, I mean, I know he's the hotness right now, but Jason Momoa, uh, he did a movie called Braven last year. I've not seen that. No. Did you say Braven? Um, yeah, he, he Braven. goes up to oh. this, uh, uh, cabin, his family cabin and one of his friends or old friends or something stows a bunch of drugs in the like cabin shed. And so this whole drug cartel comes up there to retrieve it. And he happens to be there with his dad. And I think his kid and um, it's him just fighting off this, this gang for like most of the movie in the wilderness. And it's, it's awesome. Like I, it's not a great movie, but it, 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 it surpassed all of my expectations <laughs> while I was watching it. And um, I, I feel like I would enjoy uh, Jason Momoa or somebody like Chris Evans or something to come in and do a goofy movie like this. I would love to see Jason Momoa as the American Ninja. I like, was just gonna say I, I would actually love to see Chris Chris Evans as the American Ninja. I, I, I would like, too. Like, yeah. I think, give me give me Chris Pratt as Johnny Karate. Like as any the of these like ninja. top like Marvel action stars or something like drop them in a movie like this and let's see what happens. I want to see Paul Rudd as the American Ninja. <laughs> would be. No, he can no. he can play dollars. <laughs> 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 that would take it in a totally oh, different direction. But that would be, be pretty amazing. Funny. Um, so so yeah, no, like I like so I just I would, I'll wrap this up with saying that I had a lot more fun with this film than I was expecting. Not that I not not that I'm saying I, you like so the goal of this like I even though I had wrote about this talking about New Year's Evil, the goal isn't to tear down, but a film like New Year's Evil deserves tearing down because it's not a good film. Um, the goal isn't to go in and be like, oh, this is such a bad movie. No, like, like the Apple is an incomplete work. We'll just be honest. It is incomplete. It is a weird oddity, but there's so much intention behind it that you have to kind of recognize it with this. I feel like this is a complete film and it has some weird offshoots, but like I was expecting this to be a train wreck and it's not a train wreck. Like it is, it is of its time. There's, there's weird elements to it, but like Kevin, like said, it's an AB story. And it, it's it's a lot of fun. Like I had yeah. a lot of fun with this film. This is a wake up early on the Saturday or Sunday, pour a bowl of cereal, turn your brain off, 
and just enjoy this. This is just pure entertainment. There's, there's nothing deeper than what's on screen when you're watching this. There's no subtext or anything. Like you were joking, uh, I don't think Menahem had any uh, idea of how to create something with layers. Um, but this is just so much fun. It's undeniably fun. And uh, I, this is like the perfect Saturday morning movie. Yeah, I would I would almost argue as well. I think it's also the perfect like got off at work on Friday and like you just turn your brain like, off and just have, just have yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I mean. Like, just something like it's it's pure entertainment. Like you could match this up. You could watch a few episodes of GI Joe in the morning yeah. and throw this on right <laughs> after, and it would fit right in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, like I was surprised at how much fun I had with this. However, cause my, again, my Canon radar is a little, little off going from the Apple to New Year's evil to this. Like, I don't know what's coming next. Like it's going to be, <laughs> so no, I had, I had a lot of fun. Thank you for the recommendation for this. This was like, I'm glad that we got to a Canon Ninja film. And I think you're right that we need to see the first Canon Ninja film, because I feel like if we would have went into Michael Dudikoff with American Ninja, I feel like we wouldn't have appreciated where, what, what had come before. You know, yeah. so yeah. and hopefully you guys enjoy this enough to go check out Revenge of the Ninja because that would have been my pick if it wasn't part of a <laughs> quote unquote trilogy. Yeah, and I mean, I definitely will just because I now own one and three. I feel like I kind of have to complete it, but also that you know, and uh, we've got a lot of canon to get through this year. But maybe that might be a fun show to do as a bonus at some point, like just you know sure Revenge I, of Ninja, I, I, down so. with that and i know like i keep talking about over the top because you know like the plays in the intro for this like yeah. we, that wasn't on our schedule but it's definitely one of the biggest of that era well because i feel like and then also i didn't realize so this was came out in 81 um and over the top came out in um 86 yeah. i think so i didn't realize so uh, uh, this is not this part of this episode so i, I apologize it's a little bit of a tangent um i didn't realize that the stallone signing for a project was in 83 Oh, I didn't realize it, that either. It wasn't painted that way in the documentary. No, I thought it was like 85. So, or... so the notion that like they had him under contract for a film was earlier in the 80s than what the documentary. It didn't it didn't state what time. It just said yeah. that they signed him. Well, they also gave him like a buttload of money like Yeah, but this was like 3 years previous to the film coming out, like, you know, so whatever. Like I know film productions like a year or two, but yeah. so that came earlier in the decade than I thought it did. And that sent shockwaves through like Hollywood. So like and, and, and the reason why I didn't put over the top on the schedule is because I feel like that's like one of the most canon of canon films, like in terms of like ambition and it's glorified arm wrestling. Like I feel like <laughs> like it, it's a little weird. You that know, thing of trying to, you know, like with this and breaking, they sort of started cultural phenomenons on accident almost. But yeah. like Yeah. I, I feel like that like you said, there was something in the air with ninjas. I, I'm not gonna totally credit Menahem as like being on the cutting edge. I think he saw the best selling book of nineteen eighty was the ninja in the octagon and the TV show Shogun and the master is coming out and it's just it, the whole country's obsessed with martial arts. I, I think he knew that something was coming and they needed a change in like martial arts films. So I, I think it was just right place. Um, right time so kind of I, thing. i'll mention this this was something on the wikipedia or the imdb that that, that you say that I, I agree with it completely but the press kit for this is not saying that like originally from this film came out it said uh the first western film to deal solely with the mysterious and elusive art of ninjutsu 
Uh, it will <laughs> it, it will set the trend in martial arts films for the 80s, making them the decade for the ninja, which is kind of right. It said it added, yeah. in the late fall of 1980, the concept for the ninja was brought to producer slash director Menachem Golan. Having never produced a martial arts film, Mr. Golan was a bit difficult to convince at first. He assumed that everything had been done before martial arts films, but after he was told about the unique art of ninjutsu, he immediately began preparations for Enter the Ninja. I'm going to call bullshit on all that because now we know that, uh, you know, that this book came out, Mike Stone wrote the screenplay, uh, or at least the story, I should say. And then, you know, um, Bronson was like, I don't want you directing my film. <laughs> yeah he yeah. just happened to stumble into something that was already rolling yeah and this was just the film like you said this was their first big uh uh film that was like picked up for distribution like this just happened to fall at the right place at the right time and uh, it's it's pure luck that Menahem Golem was connected to this film. I, I like that Golem always rewrites his uh, his like soft landing, no matter what. He's like, yeah, it was how yeah. it was meant to be. We we knew this was what was going to happen. It's like you didn't know shit. Like just yeah. Like the more I read about like about him and like like everything that happened with Canon, it's always like they they throw so much out there, and then the moment anything positive happens, they're like, yeah, of course. Like, but like I, I fully think if uh, John Carpenter in 1981 would have pushed out a movie based on the best-selling book of 1980, that that would have kicked off the ninja craze. I don't think it mattered what came in 1981. The first person that put out a ninja feature in this year was going to kick off the craze fully. As long as Kurt Russell was the ninja, that's what. I- <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the last thing I'll say, I, I, maybe not Richard Gere though. <laughs> I mean, because he was supposed to be the main role in. Uh, well, he the was ninja. eventually. Wasn't he American Gigolo? American Gigolo? American Ninja? It's the same thing, right? Like that's <laughs> like you know almost the same thing. I mean, the last thing I'll say on Menachem though, when it comes to actually like what his intent was with whether it was starting a cultural phenomenon or, or kicking off on one, um, like he wasn't the most. Yes, kicking. He, he he didn't seem to me like to be the, the most discerning discerning guy. Like I don't feel like you could come with him concept and he'd be like, no, that's no good. Like I feel like he'd be like, yeah, we can do something with it. Like he'd be like, yeah. Well, it's he, the same thing with Breaking. You know, he just happened to catch something at the right time and put it out. But they put out so much random stuff that something's bound to stick, right? <laughs> right. I mean, for a while, anyway. That's yeah. That's, yeah, yeah so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 so we'll, we'll complete our discussion about Enter the Ninja, which if people have not seen this film, you need to watch it. Like just, just for sake of dispute, like it's, it's a fun ride and it's $3 to rent on Amazon or Vudu. It's worth the three bucks. I don't know if it's still four ninety nine to buy on Vudu, but that's how I bought. I oh. was, uh, it was four ninety nine when I saw it on Vudu, and I was like, I bought it at that time. It may not still be at that price, but I mean, I was given a copy of it by a treasured friend, so I will. I'm glad that I own it. <laughs> um, it just unfortunately, all all the power in my house was weird that day, so I just watched it on my iPad. Well, actually, all right. you mentioned you uh, the yeah. Blu-ray. Is is it uh, is it uh, all region or is it like uh, one of the like no, it's it's labels. region A. Okay. Um, it, Lorber put it out. Uh, it's it's a little bit pricey for a bare bones Blu-ray, but it is a good transfer. So well, Kino Lorber uh, put out the Apple. So oh, like, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. So it's it's like twenty bucks or something right now, and uh, all it has on it, unfortunately, is the trailer. 
Oh, which you yeah, guys just heard. So, I was, yeah. I was kind of bummed out because I was hoping that there was some sort of commentary from anybody. Like if they could have gotten Mike Stone to come in, do commentary on this film that I would have paid 30, 40 bucks for this thing. And all I talked about, I was like, well, I, while I was making this, I was uh, banging Elvis's ex-wife. Like, <laughs> I would have paid $50 for that commentary. Like I, it, they, they kind of dropped the ball no, as I much as I love Kino for putting out some of these, uh, um, obscure titles and everything, giving us good transfers. I wish they would put more stock into special features. Just him taking a long drag off a cigarette and being like, "Now we made it a blue Hawaii." Like I would just love it. Like him just being like, <laughs> you know, like Elvis shot his TV for a reason. It was me. Like I would love, I would love all that. But anyway, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I please, if any of uh, Invasion listeners out there know how to get a hold of Mike Stone's Tiger <laughs> Shark, like please. <laughs> Uh, reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram or something and let me know because I've I've heard it's garbage, but I need it. So <laughs> it's it's one of those holy grails now that's like the hunt is better than the actual film. I'm gonna finally sit down and watch and be like, hey, that was a wasted couple of years of my life trying to hunt that one down. <laughs> well, I mean, you you own a number of the great white sharks anyway. Of like like what was it, Road to Revenge? Uh, what was that film called? Like when you own it, it wasn't Road to Revenge. Uh, that uh, with the the shimmy slide. Oh that, that, yeah, that, uh, is it Road to Revenge? I, uh, I'm I'm drawing a blank yeah. on it now, but that, yeah, it's one of those films. Road to Revenge. Yeah, it's been like rumored, like lost. It's been like released limitedly. Like he owns it. Like we watched it. It's it's terrible. Uh, so you 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 have all these weird offshoots. It's not Tiger Shark. So like yeah. that. I don't know if that will complete your collection, but it would certainly add to it. Uh, no, it's yeah. it's never complete. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, let's roll through our our, our questions uh, that we have about like for the for the year. We'll get to that and then we'll we'll wrap it up here. Uh, is this better or worse than the Apple? I'm going to say better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> by a uh, lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely better. <laughs> yeah, better is that one's easy. Yeah, that one's easy. Uh, so the Monocom Index is something that we completely made up on the spot last time for the Apple. On a scale of 0 to 100, we attempt to read how much this film fills in line with the energy and the batshit crazy, like, don't give an F that, like, he would put in his films. Like, how, like, I feel like, like I said, I was fooled, like, in, like, not thinking about the swimming pool slash office area when I was watching it, but that feels like him. Yeah. Um, the cockfights, those the cock are a little, feels uh, like him. out of nowhere. Um, the weird comedy beats feel like him. I know you, Steve. You gave the apple like a sixty-five out of a hundred. Yeah, because I felt like you rated it really high. Yeah, I, I have no, I have no bearing. I don't understand what's going on with life. I'll, I'll give this a seventy-five out of uh, like sure that will give my arbitrary number because I feel like he played it pretty straight, but there was enough like weirdness to it that I'm like, oh, that's definitely him. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, like I said earlier, like the fact that like it didn't go for like the gratuitous sex scene, like I was kind of surprised by that. So uh, while much of it does very much feel in line with what I expect from at least a canon film or a Menachem, I would say a 75 probably feels solid as well just because of the fact that like there are places where it could have gone off the beaten path where it didn't. I was kind of surprised. There wasn't a musical number. That well, was no, no musical <laughs> numbers. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, Kevin, give us a number, please. I guess I'll give a number. I'm, I'm just going to go a 50 because I think it's half and half um, straightforward, half and half kind of insanity. 
Yeah, I, I, that's so. probably that's probably more valid. I, I, I like just, how he gives his answer. We're both like instantly. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, as, as Kevin and I can testify when we we rate our uh, twists, plot twists for the Twilight Zone episodes that we do on Strange Highways, it's like ah, I don't know. And then and then we talk it out, and we're like, that's right. Like I just feel like we always land on a number and the Monocom Index. I just you know it's hard, it's hard to say. And I think fifty fifty is probably right because like if if um. From watching the documentary and then watching uh, the Apple and then watching like New Year's Evil, which he was a producer on, but not a direct influence, I'm still not zeroed in on everything. And I'm sure as we go forward, we're not going to get to a lot of his directed movies, but a handful. But yeah. obviously, everything he greenlights, he kind of has his hands in, you know. But this one, it's like I wonder if like the whole like oh I'm going to have a bunch of girls to swimming pool. It's going to be like my living mobile. That, uh, this makes me wonder. He was like, "Yeah, you know what? Yeah, we like people like synchronized swimming. We're gonna. That's a thing now." <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I can see the influence with a lot of the craziness. You know, like that's that's straight up like James Bond villain, as Steve mentioned earlier. So, like, nothing feels completely out of left field outside of the comedy beats. Yeah, um, and the and the, and the cockfights, obviously, <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and yeah. the impotence. Like, I, I wasn't necessarily uh, I wasn't ready for that the first time I watched this. I also appreciate like how there's two flashbacks of them, like of the main characters, like in the service together. It's yeah. like that are straight up useless. You didn't like them. you. Re- <laughs> they didn't inform it. Other than you get the idea that at one point Cole was injured in battle and Frank helped him, and then they're like Steve's talking about the whole like oh the like they like did you hear the war's over? <laughs> and he's like, what are you going to do? I'm I'm going to shack up with a woman and live to 100. It's like I, did we need that? Like I just. It was weird. <laughs> well, it gave certain potency to and not po- to use the potency. word potency. <laughs> I feel like I feel like there should have been a movie made called Before the Ninja. And I've just been there like time in the wild geese because I feel like that was the outfits they were wearing. Uh, but yeah, uh, so yeah, so that's our Monocom Index. Um, you know, that's going to change over time. I'm sure. Who knows? And so the last question we're going to ask is: Would you recommend this film to anyone? I'd say yes to people that are open to having a fun time. And just kind of check your brain at the door. Like, don't expect high art, but just expect to have fun. Yeah, I I think that's fair. Like, I don't know that this would be like, for instance, my wife. I don't know that this would be her bag. But like, I think if she was watching it with like a room full of people, like having fun with it, yeah, she would definitely get into it. So yeah, but I I, I can uh, definitely say this is not my wife's uh, favorite film. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hard ticket to Hawaii, right? Yeah. So. Oh yeah, she loves that one. <laughs> that movie's amazing. I just I don't know. Like, I feel like this is also. I really feel like this is a low bar. Uh, for like a low barrier to enter for this kind of fun film. Because I feel like, like, you know, like amongst the three of us, we've seen like films that maybe go off the rails more and are a lot more ridiculous. But this is like, there's enough weird that you can be like, what is going on here? But you can still follow the movie, you yeah. know? Like, so if people are kind of dipping their toes into like, not, this is like ninja exploitation. I don't even know what you'd call this. This is just a, an 80s action film but like if you want something a little off the beaten path it's a little weird this is a fun like you i think you could bring somebody in that doesn't watch movies and say let's just watch this and give them a little bit of setting the stage and they'd still have a fun time with it yeah i would recommend it to basically anyone who's a fan of 80s action films um, I think there's fun to be had if you're into anything. Like you mentioned commando if you like commando you're probably going to get some sort of enjoyment out of this one yeah 
So, so all right. So that's going to do it for our talk about uh, Enter the Ninja. Uh, Kevin, thank you for picking the film. Like this was a fun, a fun pick and a fun talk. And I, I, I did not see this movie before, so I, I enjoyed this more than I should probably admit. Like this is. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I paid more than I probably should uh, admit for the Blu-ray when it came out. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm always down to talk uh, ninjas, and I appreciate you guys having me on for these ridiculous movies. Yeah, And uh, I'm, I'm calling my shot. If uh, you guys cover the new Jackie Chan uh, movie this year, I'm coming on. With uh, him and John Cena, so <laughs> oh shit, John Cena! Isn't it that maybe we should do that? What, what yeah. is the movie? It's, yeah, it's, uh, Project it's, Extraction. Project it's, you can't uh, see me. It's a fun romp of them trying to transport uh, victims on the most dangerous highway in Iraq or something. Oh, wow. So like, yeah, but it's it's supposed to be a comedy action, but I, it sounds horrifying. <laughs> I do. I do, like. I don't know. I like but the- Tim Tim Mann is in it, the amazing fight choreographer. Um, I'm I'm weirdly really looking forward to it well i like that you called your shot about mission impossible last year and i'm like are we covering that <laughs> so, well that's you know, that's uh, my thing it's like hey um so you guys are going to be covering project extraction in probably september we're uh, always good for you know needing yeah. ideas too yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, well, it's, yeah. this is the the year of jackie chan we're getting a bunch of re-releases of his old movies on blu-ray um specifically the police story blu-rays for criterion so i've been going through watching a lot of them and seeing that he's doing a movie with john cena in uh 2019 i was like this is gonna be garbage i can't wait to see it <laughs> <laughs> all right so um i, I will just start off like we'll, we'll wrap up the show here uh kevin how can people find you and, and the things that you do i mean i already know but you should talk yeah i i think if you listen to the show you know where to find me but uh, you can listen to strange highways that i do with uh paul every week where we cover the twilight zone and twilight zone adjacent projects and uh you can find us on itunes stitcher all those places um I'm on Instagram. Uh, I don't remember my handle on there, but if you search, I think it's Kdaver13 or something. I'm on there. Um, Facebook, you find me tagged to the show. So <laughs> I, I think you guys know me. Know where to find me by now. Yeah, and and, and you and I are, like next episode that we're going to do is uh, like what season three episode twenty eight, the little people, uh, Twilight Zone. Yes, which uh, I have to admit. Um, I I forgot I was coming on here until like three days ago. <laughs> so I had to do all my ninja research in the past oh, couple no. of days. So I've yet to watch the show for tomorrow. Oh, no. So it's going to be a cram session for that. Well, one. I can tell you that I've already watched it and there's like, you'll be good. <laughs> I'll just say that. So, <laughs> yeah, so I, I was listening to uh, last week's episode and, and I saw it, you checked in on enter the ninja. I was like, is that this week? So I flipped <laughs> to the end and I was like, Oh, it is this week. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have told you that. That's that's my fault. No, so, I'm yeah, sure yeah. we discussed it, but uh, sometimes we discuss things under the influence. And uh, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> we, you probably reminded me when we were watching the Stabilizer and uh, Final Score last week, which I don't remember anything by the, the end those, of those. Those two were movies, amazing so. films, and yes, they will be discussed yeah. at some point. So, so yeah, uh, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. We're going to do our plugs right now for things that we do over here um you can find uh us on facebook and invasion of the podcast we have a blog invasion of the podcast.com um i will be uh, watching if i can find a copy of 
probably Treasure of the Four Crowns, another canon film. I'll be watching that and writing about that before we get to our next year of the canon, which we'll talk about in March uh, in full. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts. Find us, rate us, and review us. That'd be great. Um, before I let Steve plug all his things, uh, recent, uh, recently is, I can announce now because we're officially on the poster um, friend of the show, Jeff Ritchie, who is also under Fred Paints on Facebook, he's put together a really, really cool event that's happening on May 9th called Aladdin Sane. It's a tribute to David Bowie. It's going to be an art show and a music thing. So it's going to be at the Bob Stop in Cleveland. Uh, 7 to 9, it's going to be art show. 9 to 11, it's going to be music. Uh, Jeff, who was part of a band uh, named uh, Pale Hollow. Them and um, uh, Dark Matter Drive, the Battle uh, Tease Box, they're going to be all playing David Bowie music that night. I'm going to be part. They're doing something um, that details to be revealed. Tickets are $10. You can find it on the musicsettlement.org. Why would you not come out if you're in the Cleveland area to a David Bowie night? Sounds like a lot of fun. And I'll be there probably butchering stuff. It'll be a good time. I'm not singing. So, like, you guys are, you should be thankful for that. I'm not singing at all. But Jeff's putting this together. It sounds like a fun time. So, check it out. Alrighty, and uh, one second. I, uh, all right, I just burped. So, Steve, please continue. <laughs> I was trying to figure out where to jump in there. Uh, After the burp, yeah, uh, you can find me at the Slasher dot com on uh, Instagram under the Saturday Night Slasher, Twitter the Saturday Slasher, and hey, look at this! I actually wrote things down, so I'm not fumbling through trying to tell you where we're going to be in the future. Um, Myself and my comic book cohort, Ryan Cassandy, are going to be at Retro Invasion Weekend in Westlake, Ohio, May 31st through June 2nd. Guests there are going to include not only us, but also Joe Bob Briggs, Diane Franklin, Robert Kurtzman, Courtney Gaines, Mark Metcalf, artist Gary Poland, and more. Uh, we also just announced that we're going to be at another show a month later It uh, called Dark X-Fest in Hudson, Ohio. They're the same folks who put on Dark Xmas that we were at uh, back in uh, November of last year. Paul was nice enough to man the table with me there. There, but uh, they're gonna I have. Sold like, I sold like two things. He did. He was a yeah. good salesman, a uh, better salesman than I am. Uh, but uh, when it comes to guests, they're actually doing a, like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I wouldn't exactly say it's a reunion, but they've got like a, a themed show uh, tilted towards that because they've got Caroline Williams, who is Stretch in uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two, and she's in a slew of other movies. Uh, Bill Johnson, who was uh, Leatherface in Part Two. John Dugan, who is Grandpa, I believe, in Part 2. Dan Yeager, who I think is in the third one. Maybe it's... Uh, he might actually be in uh, Part 4, The Next Generation. Uh, and then, So you could meet the man who met Matthew McConaughey. Exactly. And Renee Zellweger. <laughs> so uh, them and a lot more. Uh, that's going to be a cool show as well. That's uh, June 29th and the 30th in Hudson, Ohio. So uh, this summer, we've already got two shows booked. We're looking to... You know, put something else on the map towards the end of the year. But uh, please come out. These are awesome, you know, shows that are being put on locally, um, particularly in the age of, you know, like Wizard World, where, you know, it's $50 a day just to get in. Um, you know, these shows are actually uh, really reasonable to get in and, and great access to great guests. So perfect. All right. So next week, no show. The, the spoiler. We're all going to be at Wizard World. No, I'm kidding. No, who knows? No show next week, but the week after. Um, which will be the second week of March. Second week of March. Can't talk. Um, we will be back, and we're going to be talking about Captain Marvel. We're going to go see the movie. Uh, if we do not, we'll change the show topic at that point. But I'm pretty sure that Steve and I, independently, will go see Captain Marvel, and Kevin will be there too. Probably not. I know. I know Kevin. Like he, his Marvel Marvel love is Frank Grillo as Crossbones, and then that's it. I know that. Um, also, uh, 
Also, just Winter Soldier. <laughs> that movie. It pretty much live and, lives and dies with that yeah. in the first five minutes of uh, Civil War. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, I, I appreciate that Like Kevin came to Winter Soldier later and was like, that movie's great. I'm like, I know. And then he's like, the rest of it's okay. I'm like, but Winter Soldier is amazing. So, yeah. uh, every, so. every other Marvel movie I've gone into, I'm like, yeah, it was fine. It was okay. But Winter Soldier. I mean, yeah, so we'll be talking about Captain Marvel. um, So that'll be our next show. Uh, So, yeah, uh, in the meantime, uh, have have a good two weeks off. Watch Enter the Ninja. It's three bucks to go rent uh, and then then come back and and see how how uh, how we did. Maybe listen to the show twice. I don't know if you've not watched it by now, then I hope you enjoyed the conversation. But please check the movie out. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right, so yeah, that's going to do it. So we're going to throw a smoke bomb down, and we're going to just bamf into the nighttime. So see you, see you in two weeks. <laughs>